Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave. I'm just going to say something real quick before we get started with episode 10 of I've Known You Too Long. All right, I want to talk about React Records. It relates directly to the episode that we've got going today. If you like hardcore, if you like straight-edge hardcore, if you have followed uh, the things that a RAM has done over the years, then React is probably not going to be you know, a new thing for you. You've probably heard of it before. But RAM is no longer doing React, but React is still going forward, and they've got a lot of good stuff going on. So if you like to keep up on what's going on with hardcore and find out about new bands, React is a perfect place to do that. They've got a lot of great new stuff coming out. They've got brand new releases. They've got the Ancient Heads, It Can't Rain Forever 7-inch. They've got Breakaway with the Face Aggression LP. They've got upcoming releases from Nuclear Age, Straight Razor, and True Identity. And you can check out some of their back catalog. They've got great stuff still available from Keep It Clear, Praise, Angel Dust, Noose. Do these sounds like bands you'd want to listen to? Of course they do. Uh, Mindset, Dead Weight, so many more. There's great stuff on there. So go to itstimetoreact.com. Check out the stuff they've got available now. Look at what they've got coming up. Talk trash on the message board. You know, just do it up. You know how it goes. All right, we're going to get this episode started. Here we go. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of I've Known You Too Long. This is a milestone episode, 10 episodes, we've made it. This is episode X, Roman numeral X. This is the straight edge episode. I have with me today a Ram Arslanian. Ram Arslanian played guitar in the band Champion. He sings in the band Betrayed. And he's currently playing guitar in a band called True Identity. And he's got a lot more going on than that. He also ran React Records for a time. You may be aware of him already. If not, you will definitely know about him after this episode. Aram, welcome. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be here. (laughs) Aram, I've known you too long. Yes, it's true. All right, so I'm going to break protocol a little bit here, and I'm going to say that we are not alone. To make sure that Michael and... Would you say we're not in this alone? (laughs) Yes, I would. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would definitely say we're not in this alone. So now, would you like to break down the walls? Um, I'm going to break down the walls between listener and reality. Well, it would be very <laughs> difficult for people to not see that. They essentially, they can't close their eyes. Oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should disengage from this. You can't even stop doing we, it during your podcast. And now you have heard <laughs> the thing I was going to tell you. The door will not be opened accidentally today there's no need for a light on the door nope. saying recording and process michael ann is starting the podcast in the room with us yeah. today so i actually know you're in here and doing it so. yes and there's yeah. a reason for that because michael ann plays into uh basically into the meeting of me and ram mm-hmm. <clears throat> strangely yes so ram the way we do this podcast and i think you're aware of it already is we figure out close as we can when we actually met mm-hmm go back from there and then i try to figure out exactly what your deal is how you ended up someplace where we would have met Mm -hmm. and then we talk about things from there and you and i will have a lot to talk about from that point yeah yeah 20 years of a lot of stuff mm -hmm. i know the day we met okay and i know where we met i believe we met at the door of my apartment yes but there's a little bit of backstory first Mm -hmm. sean o'leary our friend from canada called me up a few weeks before I met you, maybe two weeks before I met you. And he said, hey, 
my friend Ram is going to be in Seattle. You should hang out with him. And I said, I don't know this guy. What's his name? Um, he's coming to, he's just a guy that I don't know coming to Seattle. He said, yeah, you should hang out with him. You'd like him. And I said, I'm no, I, I'm busy. <laughs> and I, I was, I was busy. I was doing a whole bunch of different stuff, but it was just, I thought it was strange because I'd never really had a blind friend hangout <laughs> thing uh, yeah. suggested before. <laughs> we had a blind date. <laughs> but, but like, and I, I think I told, so I think, appropriate, actually. <laughs> I think I told Sean, I don't actually have time to hang out with the friends that I have. I'm too busy. Like, I'm not just going to go meet up with some dude that I don't know. That mm-hmm. was kind of my position. And I just kind of put it out of my head. About two weeks later, Mike Kornitsky says, hey, can I stay at your house this weekend? I'm coming down with my friend Aram. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, wait, I think I've heard this name before because it kind of sticks with you. Mm-hmm. Now, Kornitsky would stay at my place periodically. He would come down. And so he shows up on it was well, I think it was a Friday afternoon, Friday evening in 1997. I think it's the spring. Do you know? Is this correct? Do you, do you agree with these times? 1996. Ah, this will be the the first argument. Mm-hmm. I know it's not. I true. believe this will be the first the first uh, well not argument but the first clash and we'll sort it out. Yeah. Um. But basically, I get introduced to you at the door, mm-hmm. and you started being funny, probably within a couple of minutes of walking into my apartment. like haha funny or acting weird. Well, those can those can be the same thing. Goofy? Like, was I joking around funny or was I acting in a way that was strange? Oh, joking around. Ah. Like, just being, you made an impression pretty quickly. And I'm like, okay, so this, I get it. Like, I mean, I remember thinking like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Sean O'Leary's right, you know. But I didn't, you know, I wasn't 100% sure because you were just, you were still an unknown quantity. Mm, And you mm. make a pretty big impression right off the bat. Mm. Sometimes that's how you come into a situation. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Michael Ann was not present at this event. Michael Ann was in Europe. So that means both of you were wrong on when you met. Well, I, I can... have a good reason for thinking why uh, my what my thinking is. I have so. a better reason. I because it has a lot to do with when I went straight edge. I'm going to just go ahead and say I'm going to give the listeners here a preview um, that Michael Ann is the snuffleupagus <laughs> in this in this situation, which will make sense later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. But I know I wasn't there for the meeting. I was not at home. No. No. Nope. And I, it's 1997. You're right. Mm-hmm. But, but it's no, Ram no. says 96. No, it's got to be summer of 97. Oh, and, not, and I don't even think it's summer. I think it's spring. It's, but I would have been home still. It's I would didn't absolutely go on that tour. neither. <laughs> I moved to Vancouver in the summer of 1997, and I'd been straight edge for one year at that point, and I went straight edge in the fall. No, in the summer of 1996. Let me throw this out there. Did he? Did you meet him a year before you actually started hanging out? I believe that you may have gone to Europe for the trip in the summer of 1996. No, I guarantee you it's 97 because I had my 21st birthday at the mosque in Paris. That was where we had my birthday oh. dinner. 
The traditional yes. 21st birthday. <laughs> I know, it's a little odd. Yes, yes, but the traditional 21st birthday was in Europe at a mosque in Paris. It does not seem strange to me, but apparently that's strange. Um, and so, yeah, and that summer was the summer that you met Ram. Because that's, I kept hearing about you through random, there was no internet back then, right? It, like everything was a phone call home like once a week. Dear, and, I hope you'll forgive me, but it cannot be the summer of it, 1996. It, to- it totally can't. I'm going to tell you something one hundred percent i i know this factually i just didn't think it was as far back as a ram thought no it's 1996 and when we met it could have been the spring because i i went straight edge september 1st 1996 and, and gonna, that was a, a point of contention between you and i yes and i'm going to tell you why i know that because <laughs> um, i was still in college in calgary and i hadn't finished uh, i hadn't finished my electives that i would need to go to ubc uh, in vancouver and after i met you I lived in a Calgary for a year because that's the first time I ever had email was in Calgary and I used to email you yes. with my with my signature. Okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to the email signature. And, and the second that's right. <laughs> the second is I was gonna put out a screwjack record when I lived in Calgary and I would call you from my apartment in Calgary to talk to you about it. Okay. Yes. Oh shit, this is making more sense. Now, Michael and the reason it can't be nineteen ninety seven is because we started filming the Edge of Quarrel in the end of August of 1997 and a Ram is in, he is straight edge and he is in the rumble scene, which we filmed in the first few days of September, 1997. That's September of 97. It is. It's September 97. The film was finished in 99. It took two years and we've actually, actually hammered this out on the podcast before. So the question becomes i i had thought that i only knew a ram for a few months prior to the beginning of the filming of edge of quarrel that's why i place it in the spring but if he, i'm not maybe taking, because of when he was I'm living not in calgary. taking into account the calgary time i think i've just squashed that that so time i together. did I, but i don't think i'm actually met a ram in the flesh and blood until the, literally the fall of 1997. And let's and let's also yeah. say, is that true? Yeah, is that that's possible right. Then that's right. And so you were Snuffleupagus this whole time. Oh God, this makes so much more sense. My God, my memory is <laughs> fucking terrible. <laughs> um, I don't. It, it wasn't fall of 97 when you met because you didn't meet him at Edge of Coral filming. No, I might have. Yeah, absolutely. But he already had a key to our place. Not then. You don't think? Nope. Absolutely no, definitely not. not. Definitely no not. No way. I, we only moved into that apartment in in the summer of 1996. Um, at the at May. that filming is when I met a whole bunch of people. It's that's the first time I ever really truly met Pettibone. It's when I met Ben Varellen. It's when I read, met. Um, so Ben Varellen's not 96 for us. Ben Varellen's 97. No, oh, I'm that's all. That's, he's yeah. talking about the filming of Edge of Quarrel. Oh, yeah. that was where he met the Rumble okay. scene of Edge of Quarrel in Bellingham. Yeah, Ben Varellen was wearing a Gorilla Biscuits T-shirt. I believe and so. I w- <laughs> it was it was dope. It was totally cool. And then Ryan from Nine Iron Spitfire and These Arms or Snakes uh-huh. was wearing an original side by side shirt, and I was like, and <laughs> I love that you know these details. And, well, because also you remember the shirts these people details. were wearing. Well, because because I was like. It, you hadn't set it up so that everyone who was in the straight edge gang was actually straight edge. And so I was kind of trying to suss out who actually was still straight edge because I was new, new to living out on the West Coast. And if I see, first of all, I'm a 40 year old man. And if I someone, saw someone wearing an original side by side shirt right now on the street, I would cross over to the side <laughs> of the street and be like, yo, that's an awesome shirt. Where did you get that? Blah, 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 blah. 
So let alone I'm in someone's parents' like cow pasture, <laughs> like fighting punks for a movie, getting like molasses poured on me as blood. If I see a dude wearing a side by side shirt, I'm going to assume he's straight edge, only to be crestfallen when he was like, "Oh no, absolutely not. I'm definitely not straight edge." Um, and so that day, I remember meeting tons of people and being equally like really psyched when you know I met some really cool people, and then also kind of dismayed when there was all these like really like dope looking straight edge people that was like that are not oh, straight edge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are not. They're not. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so that so it's so you guys meet at some point in nineteen ninety six, even at my house. Okay. And it's at your apartment. Now here's the thing, Michael Ann and But I'm I, not there. Michael no. Ann and I had moved into this apartment shortly before mm-hmm. we met up with a ramp. And Michael Ann spends a lot of time in Europe. And now she does it yearly. At the time she was still doing it quite a bit. Um, yeah. she had, it wasn't for work yet, but you were going, you went over for school, you for went a over wedding, on a trip for, yeah. And I've been that. So, no, no, that was later. So this is the thing that makes our meeting kind of funny. So I'm living in this apartment that has been decorated. I mean, you know, if, if it had been my apartment alone, I would have thrown a futon in there. I would have maybe had like some milk crates with a TV and a VCR. You did have and all some, of that. Yes. But it also had yes. nice things that you brought. It's the civilizing influence of women. Yes. It it had it was the bedroom set that my mom gave it me. It had pictures to take on away. the wall, yes. and you also had some roses hanging in the corner, pinned up to the ceilings. So they were hanging down to dry. Yeah, you had that creepy clown doll. Yeah, yeah creepy was, little. Oh, that, there was two it of was, them. It was a porcelain mime doll. Oh god, doll it was so awful. That looked like it was from Poltergeist. Yes, yes. and that's why we kept it. Yeah. But yeah. that wasn't mine. Of course So not. the thing I didn't realize until later is that a ram has come into this apartment. He's like, oh, like, oh we're going to go stay and with my like friend Dave. And for like a year, you guys have I'm like known each other. I'm living on Capitol Hill. And Mike brings you over and you come in and you see this apartment that does not look like a hardcore dude would live there. And there's porcelain dolls and Howard. Was and, there a and, train and f- spotting poster on the wall? I don't know or if that, that was yeah. later. But there's porcelain dolls and there's flowers hanging from the ceiling. So you developed an opinion of sorts. Okay. So a couple things. So this is the first time I met you. Yeah. Um, I walk in the door. I see a whole bunch of weird bullshit hanging everywhere. <laughs> there's, But there's no signs of life from any anywhere else in the apartment. There's not like, you know, there was no other indicator beside the weird shit that was everywhere that there might be someone else there. And let's just be said, you're... You also give an impression right back, right? So I was like, okay, you know, maybe, I, I maybe give th- an impression. Well, as you're saying, I have, I give a big, I give an impression when you come in the door. Oh, yeah. Like you have a big personality too. So I was like, oh, okay. maybe this dude is just into a lot of weird bullshit. I don't know. <laughs> but there, there is something that I noticed right off the hop uh, when I walked in. I came in, kind of went into your kitchen, and there was a lifetime Hello Bastards poster on the fridge. And 20 years later, you still have that poster <laughs> on, on the, the fridge. fridge. Yeah. I can't I can't get rid of it. It's no, mine. It's, it's Michael mine. Ann's it's poster. poster. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I believe, I actually believe probably the porcelain doll was actually yours. And the <laughs> Lifetime poster is Michael Ann's. That's, that's the working well, theory I have. Now. This, was a, this was a big weekend because I think we figured out pretty quickly that we liked each other a lot. Yes, but there was... A moment. There was probably yeah. like a twenty-minute window where I was undecided because you kept making Canadian jokes. Oh, I used to be pretty bad about that too. And, and the thing is, it wasn't like I didn't. I'm not sensitive because I'm Canadian, but it was like 
It was like a dog with a bone. Like you yeah. wouldn't let it go, and you're like, oh yeah, or like one of those chew toys. Yeah, really it used good. to be more like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I for I really enjoyed Canadian jokes, but like, but part I, of it was because I really enjoyed Canada so much in my youth, and I had so many Canadian friends, say, and we spent a lot of time Bellingham. up by Birch right. Bay, and I I think I felt like my close association with Canada allowed for me <laughs> to be more brutal about Canadians. Yeah, like you were part of the inner circle of, of Canadians. Yeah. Yeah, like you would know who Laura Secord is or something like that. Laura Secord, that's the... Uh, is it McPudding? It... Yes, I do know, but who that's Laura not Secord who Laura Secord is. is. Right, but that, but there's a company named, named Laura Secord. Named after Laura Secord. Never mind. Laura uh, Secord I'm... was a famous pudding maker from yes. Canada. <laughs> This is exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, if you use and, an example, and, and for and for the listeners who might be, I have my hand up. I'm pointing at him, like just stop talking, motion right now. And this is ha- this has happens, that ever worked? This happens at least once every time we see you. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, the, and if we see you daily, that means every single day. One hundred percent. So, so know this. By the way, there's a photo of it. So, <laughs> so know this. I, I obviously Canadian, but I wasn't a Vancouver Canadian like you were used to. I lived in Calgary, yeah. so I was like a Canadian Canadian. I lived, I lived in the actual is that like the pra- Midwest. Are you telling no. me that, that the most populous city west in the west part of your entire giant country, mm-hmm. those people aren't real Canadians? <laughs> They're like us. Vancouver and Toronto have much greater American influence into them. They're still true Canadians. I know what you're trying to do here. You're trying to get me to say something crazy. <laughs> they're, of course, they're true Canadians, but especially at that time, there was a lot more uh, American popular culture that would enter in those cities ver- via touring bands and all that kind of stuff. Okay, but so, no, oh, we, no, got, no, 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 we this... got a lot of Canadian pop culture in the because I we could only get Canadian TV when I was a little kid, so I grew up with a little bit of Canadian accent and everything. Absolutely. Uh, but... In Canada, in in Calgary, there were not like a lot of American touring punk bands or any of those things. Uh, so okay. when I started spending time with Americans and they were like, oh, Canada, I was like, God, what knobs, like get over it. <laughs> well, you know what? I think it's a testament to basically how close we became as friends that you were able to put up with real, real large rations of shit for me well, about being a Canadian. There was only a 20 minute window where I was like, I don't know how I feel about this, you know, porcelain doll having <laughs> character. And then 20 minutes later, I was like, oh, this is my favorite person that I've met. Because He's a great guy. You both have this ability to just throw back and forth witty comments and satirical you know, jokes and and you can take it from each other. It's quite funny. It was interesting when we met because that's when I was going through the beginning of what would be a bit of a, a life crisis where I was having a lot of problems with alcohol, really struggling with it. And the reason I was out on the West Coast, um, I was on this kind of like spirit journey. I don't know what I was doing. I, I was I, at home. I'd been having a lot of problems with alcohol and just the people I was around were all really good people, but there was just alcohol everywhere. And so I was really struggling with it. Am I your spirit animal? Oh, shit. A- absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I believe you once said that was a frog. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> you are, especially at this point, for anyone who'd see you, you're essentially just a Sasquatch. So, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I understand why you're obsessed with Bigfoot because you now look like Bigfoot. But, but, <laughs> so it was this period where I'd, I'd really been struggling a lot with alcohol. And I remember 
it's this thing that people talk about where you, you try the cure of distance, right? And so I left Vancouver for Calgary for a bit. I got on this road trip, tried to clear my head. And it's funny because you're also like, you know, you're young. So you're a lot more dramatic than, than you are as an, as an older person. I was like on this like finding myself journey to the West Coast to hang out with Sean O'Leary. <laughs> That's who I'm going to find myself with apparently. And, and Mike Kornitsky. And, and Corndog, right. Corn, yeah. Affectionately called Corndog. Yeah. He probably doesn't like it. Yeah. So uh, that is when when we met each other. And during that time was also the first first and last time I've ever shot a gun because you took me to a firing range with Maddie. Oh my oh, god! That was the wow. first weekend. That was the first weekend. I don't think did we even talk about that when Matthias was on the no. was on the show. It was the first first time I ever um, I ever fired a gun, and uh, it was all the things that you would think it was if you were Canadian and from Calgary. Oh wow! You know, I used to enjoy. Um, we have these ranges out on the east side, and I used to enjoy going out there and taking people because you could rent a pistol. You go out on the range and get some bullets and, and it was, it seemed fairly safe. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was good with that. And I, it was a, for when someone would, especially when people would come down from Canada where maybe there's a little less access to that stuff, mm-hmm. it was always kind of an eye opener and a, it, an exciting thing to do and say you did and it seemed safe. But, um, yeah, there were some, some accidents in those ranges and people died. Like, yeah. There was a real freak there that when we, when we went, there was a, a dude that, definitely look like he would have been chilling uh in it like this the book it he would have been one of the like cronies of the of the like bad <laughs> like cheesy gang oh yeah before the apocalyptic rock fight yeah and yeah he looked like he looked like one of those dudes um and he had a brown paper bag with him and i don't know what was in the brown paper bag but he was oh, clutching it in one hand oh Dude. That was probably how he was carrying his pistol. Possibly. Uh, I will. In my mind's eye, he's wearing a red and white striped shirt. Probably not. <laughs> like, wow. probably not. No, but... no, no. He, he was. <laughs> yeah. We'll all just verify that. This is what we get to do on this podcast. In my mind's eye, he looks like the Dutch kid from The Simpsons, grown up, <laughs> wearing a red and white striped shirt. And... I'm old, I'm, I can't think of that kid's name. Uder. Uder. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like Uder from The Simpsons, uh, grown up wearing a red and white striped shirt okay. and creepily holding a uh, paper bag, possibly with a revolver in it. So my, I guess my point about gun ranges is that I'm fairly uncomfortable with them now. I, I used to be much more comfortable. I'd rather go out in like a out in the woods somewhere and, and target shoot if that was even going to happen. And mm. It doesn't. So know. wait, so that's the first weekend that you've ever met Dave. So you yeah. come down with, with Sean or no, wait, with Corn Dog. Corn dog. And you weren't concerned. You go guy out with, with Maddie, or the, well, that's weird. It, it was like a trip to. You met Greg Benick that weekend. You met. I mean, it was kind of like a oh, let's yeah. introduce a ram around. Yeah, I got. I've got this photo for you that from that weekend that I got. <gasps> that I've got to give you. It's oh, a photo. Wow. It's a photo of you, Greg Benick, and Corn Dog, because we went to a trial show at the Up and Down Club, and I will lay this out for you. We went oh to a gosh. trial show on the first weekend. Yeah, left with nothing played, and it was their first show. Uh, and they were awesome. And it was when they were like a straight edge band. <laughs> Trial played and they were awesome. They were really, really great. I was, um, I had a journal with me and I was writing all these journal notes and I, I don't know where it is now, but I looked at it, I don't know, however many years ago and I was laughing because this, it was just a different experience than what I would have had in Calgary. But wait, I'll get to the part. We were all sitting at this table and a dude came up. And was chatting with you, and I don't know who it was, but he had just gotten he'd just gotten back from New York, 
And while in New York, he had gotten his first tattoo and it had been tattooed on him by Siv. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> and so a couple things stood out. First, I was like, holy crap, you just got a tattoo from Siv. That's amazing. The second, it was definitely an, a tribal armband. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, legitimately bummed for the dude. <laughs> Like, I was like, oh, awesome. You got tattooed by Siv. You also got the wackest, like, like, you got, like, a tribal armband. Do you know who that person is? No, it was just some blonde dude. He was like. Well, they're probably listening. Uh, hey, man. Take a photo of your tattoo. Sorry, coming, sorry about that tattoo, dog. <laughs> I hope you got a sweet cover up. <laughs> hey. Maybe why? Maybe it's just a matter of pride that it was tattooed by Siv. And you know, come on, Tribal's going to come back around. Yeah, man. <laughs> it was dope, I, dude. I, I remember all these stuff. I also remember something. God, you have a crazy memory. I will remember. I'll tell you something this else. It's going to be a long podcast. I have yeah, something else that you won't remember. Okay. Um. So during that trip, um, because you know I've been a huge record collector since I was a kid. Um, there was a record store that was not Fallout Records. It was actually up more um, uh, on Capitol Hill, Hill near where Pagliacci's used to be. Oh. Um, it was very short-lived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I bought an original. Was it mostly CDs? No. Between, Pogs and, between Pagliacci's and Magic Dragon? On, on no, Cap it was, on, on, the, it was the, on the other side. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. Santucci's. What, what was the name of that pizza? Not Santucci's. What's the name of the pizza place that, that got closed down recently? Oh. Not Pagliacci's. Um, yeah, yeah. We, it's, that's how quickly it's left our memory. But no, it's the one Chris Williams loves. Picoras. Picoras. That's it. Anyways, it was. That's what I thought the, you were talking it about. It was on the other side of the street from Picoras. Oh, you that know, might still be. Is Zion's Gate? Maybe. That's still there if that's the one. Anyways, and that's been there for a while and it's a, it's a decent store. It was a, there's a record store there. And I went to that record store. Before we hooked up with you, and I bought an original copy of Screaming for Change on Wishing Well, nice. which this is way before they repressed it. So it was like not super hard to find, but I was psyched. You wouldn't have found that in Calgary. I got that. I got a copy of The One Thing That Still Holds True, that chain compilation that had just been released a few months earlier. And I got a copy of the Carrie Nation 7-inch. And so we went to your house later on, and we were staying there and whatever. And I pulled out my records just to check them out. And you were psyched on the uniform choice, indifferent on the carry nation, and definitely started making fun of Chain of Strength. <laughs> now, keeping in mind, <laughs> being from Calgary, <laughs> you didn't get pieces of culture as much, right? Like, right. of course, you'd get, like, you know, the odd MRR or whatever, but it's not like the oral history of hardcore had not really translated up there in the same way, right? Can we be clear? I love Chain of Strength. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This but is, I don't like that CD. Well, this is what you... Or you had the vinyl, but yeah, this, what did I say? This is what you took issue with. So I was uh -oh. like, <laughs> I was like, I love Chain of Strength. I'm super into Chain of Strength. And of course, you couldn't have gotten the seven inches in Calgary. There's no way you would get those. And so I, it's finally, it's out. I'm like, it was been ratioed. I was really psyched. And you were like, oh, the one thing that still holds true. That's a real interesting title. And I was like, why? And you're like, well, you know, those guys aren't straight edge anymore. And I, and keeping in mind, I was not straight edge at this point, nor had I ever been straight edge. And in fact, had like pretty bad drinking problem. I was crestfallen. I was like, what do you mean they're not straight edge? You're like, yeah, they're not straight edge. And it just blew my mind because I was so naive 
when I when I was younger and I lived in Calgary that when a punk band would sing about something, I'd be like, oh, this is exactly what these people are about. It's like, oh, oh, oh you you're singing you took them at their word. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you there. You're singing about doing heroin. You must be doing heroin in between takes of songs. <laughs> you you're singing about being a good person. You're clearly a good person. Oh, you 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 know, you're saying you're straight edge. That means you're straight edge forever. And it was I know this sounds ludicrous to say. Of course, we were both a lot younger at this point. right? Sure. Like, I mean, I was in my early 20s. Yeah. Uh, well, and I was I was 20. Okay. I was 20 or I was 21. And I was 25. Yeah. So when you told me that, I remember getting, like, irritated. Like, oh, God, this guy, man, he never has anything good to say about anything. Like, And, and actually, the way you've described me, if I saw you getting irritated, I probably then went. Totally. I probably went more with it. Because honestly, like, I always kind of had a weird feeling about Chain of Strength in terms of who they were in comparison to their music. And part, and this is the reason mm. because chain of strength on a compilation had a thing, a lead into one of the songs where they basically dissed Kevin seconds. Oh and yeah. That, you thought you always yeah. talk about seven years. <laughs> I thought you were committed for life. Let down. And so where has been, I mean, Kevin said, I mean, that doesn't, that never, so that basically bummed me out on, on chain of strength right right off the bat once i heard that you just said you like chain of strength like two minutes ago i like chain of strength i can hold two different opinions yo Rainfest beef 2015 <laughs> dave oh, larson versus chain of strength no it's gonna be fantastic oh god maybe they'll record dissing me and put it on a record okay so I, that would be a amazing you know <laughs> so. i've been a man who's been known to make things happen <laughs> i am excited to see chain of strength at, at raid fest it's gonna be cool i have spent a lot of time with with those chain of strength seven inches and in i love them a lot but i always had a problem with that and yeah i mean where r- realistically you and i have been involved in straight edge for for a long time we should reenact uh, where did the members of chain of strength fit into our lives we should reenact the end of Eight Mile when they play, and we'll just have a, a rap off. You versus Chain of Strength. They win. I'm I'm forecasting I, heavy. But heavy. how many times? My, how many times have you two had this actual conversation? About probably probably <laughs> never. No, no, not exactly. But we've had permutations of this. Right. Yes, because I seem to think that it. You have these kinds of conversations all of the time. Oh, but you we guys, are talking like, about a hundred different bands, dear. Philosophize about straight edge and hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Do, do know. you know that? Do you know that that is what the two of you do? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that, that is that is that is how you spend your time together. Like you're his boyfriend, and you've been putting out. <laughs> I mean. This is this is taking a real turn. <laughs> this is taking a turn. Well, this goes no, back to why you're in the room right, right now is because he didn't know you existed. You, he, he's your he is your best friend. Like well, like well, you, every you know you have a per a person right. There's always a person that you know impacts your life greater than somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. And in the friend world for you, that it, at least in the last twenty years, it's a ram. Like, well, we because I like... ne- I hadn't met you and you were like so I'm a snuffleupagus but yeah. you were like this weird ghost of a dude. Yeah, who... I was definitely Big Bird. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you were each other's so snuffleupagus. Yeah, it was weird. And so for me, I didn't meet you until 1997. <laughs> did we have a dual snuffleupagus relationship? I think we did. It's like a yin yang. It's like two and snuffies. I weirdly feel that's, like I connected you. at the t- at the the trunk to tail. Yo, that's dope. <laughs> that's dope. <laughs> 
But I mean, like, and you have then greatly impacted my life, right? Yeah. Because you've been around so much. I mean, you still have a key to my house. I do. You actually have a key to my last apartment and the apartment before that. Mm-hmm. Probably somewhere on, so, on a And I have chain. a copy of your credit card, too. That's so you cr- probably do, <laughs> so, actually. So pretty quickly... After mm-hmm. we became friends, you essentially were given a key to the apartment. It was like, whenever you're down, you just No, no, it of... had to be later. It, no. it had, he, he, he was living in Vancouver right, already. Right, right, right. But that's pretty quickly. That's what I mean. It's like a year later. I, I can tell you very closely once, to what once happened. Once he knew you. Because we couldn't I didn't do meet that him until deal. after my trip. Yeah. I, I did not meet him until Yeah, I know. But what I'm saying is, once he's our friend, yeah. he's got a key to our apartment. I met I you, Michael so. Ann. I met you at the apartment. Yeah. Uh, I like about a year later after I'd already moved here, I came down to see whatever show we met then. And then I don't remember. I don't obviously. I mean, from there, I just think we were like all just best buddies, like super tight. Um, you were also the person. Michael Ann was the person who introduced me to Jimmy World, the band. And I Sean O'Leary had tried to play them to me before. But Sean O'Leary has terrible taste in music. So I would just usually. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Sean <laughs> O'Leary is currently in Japan cursing yeah. you in a language I can't understand. Yo, quote me on that. <laughs> but 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 uh, Michael N was playing whatever, and I was like, oh my god, what is this? And it was uh, Jimmy World Clarity album. Uh, Clarity That's... came along a little bit later. We were actually listening to Static Prevails in that apartment. Maybe no, I I definitely listened to Clarity in that apartment, but the record she introduced me to might have been Static Prevails. That sounds at that right. time, but I remember reading the clarity insert on the chair that you had by your window. Why do I remember all of this better no, than no, no, either no, one of you? Because I was listening. Because I had the worst memory. I, in I the world. was listening to because clarity doesn't come out for a couple of years. Um, but that, like, I do remember talking no. to you. No, I do remember talking to you about clarity. Um, uh, you can look it up. I don't uh, have my do phone re- on. I do remember talking to you about clarity and you saying that you had uh, you had kind of turned the corner on them and, and liked them. More. It was because of Michael Ann. Uh, can I can I hijack for a second? Yeah. We, we're still, just so everyone's clear, we're, we're still starting the podcast. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I feel like I've hijacked <laughs> no, it. But, like, dude, uh, go. Okay. Uh, this was also a period. So this is now 1997 when I've moved to Vancouver for university. Oh, I have, we're, we're, we're going to go back to my favorite story. I know. I, absolutely. <laughs> okay. But I, I'm going to tell you about something that I vividly remember. Okay. All right. So 1997, I've moved here. I'm coming down to Seattle all the time for shows at this point, driving down all the time. Because it was a good time for shows. It was shows. a great time for oh, shows. Oh, my God. So it many was good such shows. a good time for shows. And Dave, this is when you were buying every former Edge person's <laughs> record <That's> collection. Right. <laughs> and... This is early days. Do as many as you think. Yo, this yeah. is early days of eBay. And so like you are selling stuff on eBay. And every time I'd come down, it just seemed like every time I'd come down, you had just bought like Gorilla Biscuits on Purple or like you were buying these records that were in my mind, legendary records. Like, oh my God, I'll never even see one of those again. Cause I was like young enough and it was before like you could just get anything on the internet. And I would come down and be like, whoa dave i can't believe you've disengaged on clear that's crazy and you and you'd always be like yo ram i know you really want this record but like i have to get top dollar for this i have to <laughs> and you had this way of saying it wow you had this way of saying it that was like if i don't get top dollar for this record which at that time was probably like 25 dollars yeah. oh, or yeah, 40 dollars, yeah. we're gonna lose the farm yeah but it was like <laughs> this air of like like depression era America. Like if I don't get this, we were my, my eight children are going to die from <laughs> yeah. starvation. So I'd be like, 
oh man, like I can't offer this dude forty dollars for this record because like he he needs that money. So I would always leave empty handed and not like get any of these records. And you definitely got like breakdown. Just, so just so you know, no one got those records. Oh no, I know, I know. You you true to your you used your depression era tactics where you're like, no, none of you people are getting these. And you sold them all on eBay and I'm sure you got you know, 1997, you know, it was good. You, you did the right thing. But I have such vivid memories of those of those times because it was the first time I ever saw any of these records. And yeah, I don't want... You were probably there when I was actually still doing either Maximum Rock and Roll Classifieds or AOL mm -hmm. message boards. Yeah. I, and Even prior to eBay, I sold stuff that way too. And I don't want to make Calgary sound like some total hick town, but I mean, the amount of people that were into that kind of hardcore in the city was like, maybe 10 maximum 10 people and again it was like of course the internet existed but it was just not a thing that you'd go on and yeah it was in its baby form yeah you wouldn't go and get a bunch of records so i knew these records existed and i knew they existed because i'm a nerd and would read like you know zines and all this stuff all the time but actually seeing them and it would blow my mind and i just at the time was just really psyched i'd get to see them and kind of like check out the layouts and everything and that's also the first time you ever revealed to me your theory about Porcel's nose on the disengaged seven inch, <laughs> which years later I confronted Porcel with, which is a totally other Let's story. explain what this theory is if we're going to bring it up. Well, actually, I explained it on Edgeland podcast and okay. uh, much to Bill's delight, we had a great conversation. And this was, okay, so I, see, this is something where I've mixed up and I can't remember if, if I thought you told me or I told you. Oh, you definitely told me. But you look at that picture and it, everything about it seems wrong. Mm -hmm. it, it looks like they needed Porcel in the photo. Yeah. It was a good photo, but it just needed Porcel. Mm -hmm. And so they cut the photo and I it, it was pre-Photoshop or <laughs> even if it wasn't pre-Photoshop, was, they still did it with an X-Acto knife and they just got a little too close. Like little they cut in a little on the nose yeah. because nobody's nose is naturally that sharp yo and the best part about it is well there's many best parts of it but i'll say that photo you know they did a t-shirt of ray's jump with that photo and there's different versions of that t-shirt and one of them they're like we don't like the angle of his foot for it to be on a t-shirt and so they bent his foot in a different angle so you're saying they have a history of photo manipulation Absolutely. Well, whoever did that T-shirt, I don't know if it was any of one from the Youth of Today camp, but they had a rogue photo. Editor. 2014. You got to think like a dude like Porcells probably had a lot of people say weird shit. To him. <laughs> and I sat down in 2014 totally earnestly. Oh, grown ass man. You know, real career. Like this is why I like you. <laughs> these moments that you're about to share, I love about you. And poor Cell, poor guy is drinking like a smoothie at a health bar. I walk in, and he was like, "Hey, Ram, you know what's up?" And we just start chatting. And I was like, "Listen, man, I I've been carrying around something for years that's been weighing on me, and I have to ask you about it." And I go in and describe this layout to him, and I was like, "So." Is that photo real? And he was like, I, and he literally said, he's like, how much time have you spent with this layout? I was like, oh, dude, just, just answer the question. And he was like, and he was like, no, no, that's like a real photo. And just like I said on Edgeland podcast, I don't believe him. I need to see like, I need to see the negatives. Like I need to see this because it looks like he's like someone somewhere was like, we need to send this record to press and like, no, absolutely not. Look at that empty space in that corner there. You know what? 
the only thing that will fill that space, poor cell. Like that only Porcel fills that space. Where's the sickest? Where's a photo that Porcel's looking up in the air? (laughs) And then they cut that out and they stick it in there. Like it looks. (laughs) Yeah, but the lighting will also be wrong on it. I'm just telling you right now that I want to see the negatives (laughs) before I believe anything. Anyways, it's like. It could be a trick of light. So Porcel, you know, grown, grown, uh, very grown ass man with like kids and all this stuff. He's sitting there drinking his smoothie <laughs> and he's got this maniac in his face is like, I don't really believe that you exist in this photo. How is this guy actually interpreting this conversation? He Is he like, wow, how cool is it that this guy cares enough about my record that he's looked at it that way? Or is he like, I wonder if this dude has a knife? <laughs> Aram, you are destined mm. for similar treatment. I had something so crazy happen to me two weeks ago that maybe now I know how you felt after that conversation. Is it a story you can tell? We are just totally off the, the, I off just, the format. I, but. I was at a restaurant and had someone legitimately accost me about champion, like in an uncomfortable way. Would you like to say hi to them? Maybe they'll listen. Hey, man. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, dog. But yeah, it was it was something. Anyways. There's got to be an altered photo of you out there. There's got to be something that someone's going to be able to fixate about you. Um, I don't know. I'm sure it might be on how good looking I am. Doctor, <laughs> <laughs> be getting. So God, that is such a youth thing. <laughs> on the Sunday of the, of you staying down there on the very first day, the very first weekend we met, uh-huh. you guys stayed till Sunday, mm-hmm. and I believe it was Sunday when Kornitsky might have said something about Michael Ann. Someone said something about Michael Ann, and. You asked who my clan was, <laughs> and it was revealed that I had a girlfriend. And I think I probably at that point made a joke about, "Oh, she she's from Niagara Falls." Yeah. That's my that's my go to John Hughes thing, you know, if it, if she's not actually there. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then you were you kind of had this like, oh, and I could see like all the tumblers falling into place. I understood it, and then I was like, I immediately looked over in the corner and saw that doll. And said, you think that's mine? <laughs> yeah, and then you made it run and at I, me. And then I started using it as a puppet yeah, you, to attack you. Yeah. <laughs> I said, did you look over there and think it was going to run across the floor in the <laughs> middle of the night and attack you? That, yeah, so it was after that that it was good. So we're going to go forward a tiny little bit. Okay. Because you you go back to Calgary, apparently. Mm-hmm. You, spent, you did your time in Vancouver, mm-hmm. whatever you were down there for. Mm-hmm. And you go back to Calgary, but we stayed in touch. Mm-hmm. And you liked... Screwjack, mm-hmm. which was the band that I did with Jake Snyder mm-hmm. and, and those guys, mm-hmm. and um, and as a, and about- as a, as a sidebar for anyone listening, they should check out that Screwjack recording because it's unbelievably good. Even I like it, and it's a really it's good a, recording too. It is. It's a well recorded record. The lyrics are awesome. The performances are great. It's a very very cool record. And Thank if you. you were of that time, like that era of hardcore, it's when. It's when a lot of really cool creative stuff was happening mm-hmm. before things got a little bit too uni- uniform again. That is a, a really good record. So people should buy that record. Cool. Thank you. And it was fun to watch you just practice or what the one, two shows you had. I don't know. Oh, we, we played a few times. Yeah. We were called Lit before we were Screwjack. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> thank you for that. But uh, but here's the thing. You were going to put it out originally mm-hmm. and that was your first. You wanted to do a label mm-hmm. and it just didn't come together. Mm-hmm. Um, I was behind it. I think we were all behind it. It's just not everything came together but i understood from that weekend that you were not straight edge that's right and we were sending kind of funny emails back and forth Mm -hmm. 
and then I get an email from you. I don't know how long after you've left, but you have a signature on the email <laughs> that says, still struggling to live this life drug free. Absolutely. And I sent a response to you where I made brutal fun of that. I think I just reworded it some way. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? Because no. I don't. I don't remember it, but I remember you doing that. And I think sure. it hurt your feelings. Um, I don't think it hurt my feelings, but more so what it was was that like I came home. I just thought you were messing with me. I thought no. that was your that, taking a shot. No. So and I, I've said this a lot in in, uh, in different interviews and, and stuff over the years is that all of the New York bands, huge, obviously, they're unbelievable bands and they had such a cool scene. And then like, you know, D.C. and all of the, like Boston, all of these places that did all this stuff. Um huge influence but it wasn't really until um northwest band started to come into calgary and then i started to get to know people out there that i really felt much more like oh you know people like me like young just normal people can do this stuff because if you look like an agnostic front layout those dudes look tough and i mean for that time it's like having tattoos wasn't a normal thing so like dudes in agnostic front they actually look like mm-hmm. to get from their house to CBGBs, <laughs> they actually, in reality, had to fight an army of skinheads. <laughs> but like they were skinheads. So like the counter skinheads, the evil skinheads, and possibly jump through a brick wall, like do yeah. something like insane. Yeah. So when I listen to those bands and also it's like it's like a really kind of street sound. Right. When I listen to those bands, I was like, I love this. But I, I mean, I don't think I could ever play this. Seven seconds was a huge turning point for me. Minor threat was a huge turning point for me, obviously, because th- these were things where I could identify more with the types of stuff. But when I started um, coming out to Vancouver and then down to Seattle and just seeing like lots of people that were just like me um, and doing stuff like record labels because you, you were doing excursion at the time and, you know, just meeting all these people that, uh, for example, when I met Pettibone, it's like I was a huge Undertow fan, but it was like he didn't treat me like a fan. He treated me like just another hardcore dude. It really solidified for me this idea of, oh, like, oh, this is just a thing that I can do. And it sounds strange if you didn't grow up like that or if you've grown up like that. But coming from coming from where I came from, how I came from, and especially how I was raised, I always had a, a sense of being a lot like less than other uh, other people. And it was the first time I was around people where I was like, oh, we're actually all kind of equal. I'm not less than. And it was really profoundly impactful for me. So again, I was struggling a lot, really bad problems with alcohol, got home. And that continued from when I met you until the end of the summer. And then a series of events happened that were like really like super impactful, terrible, like really, really bad events. And I got up one day and I said to my girlfriend at the time, who was just a nasty person. <laughs> I said, I'm not, I'm done. That's it. I'm never going to drink again. And she was like, there's no way. She's like, you'll totally drink again. She started laughing at me. And I was like, no, I'm not going to drink again. And I never have. I've never drank in that time since then. So it's been like 18 years. But I didn't call myself straight edge right away. And it was until it was like, I don't know. When I got it, I didn't get my first email address until 96 at some point. And it was like well into the universe or the college year that I started emailing you. So this time must have been like super late fall. Oh, 96. Yeah, like probably about late fall. Yep. And that's when I started actually calling myself straight edge. And I wasn't, I wasn't, my feelings weren't hurt that you were doing it. I you just did, felt, I didn't get the memo. I felt embarrassed because I was like, oh, should I call myself straight edge? Like that seems like a weird thing to do. And then, uh, you of course being 
you made fun of me about it. And then me being me, it was like, oh, if someone's going to make fun of me about it, I'm going to make fun of them like 10 <laughs> times worse. And then it was fine. But then you, you, when, when you let me know that you were serious about it, mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, this is, this is a big deal with everything he's told me about himself. This is a big deal. Oh my God. This I can totally be. remember this. I had no idea who you were. And Michael, and I told, I and think I like, went out, came out of my office and went, Michael, and listen to this thing that Ramsey said to me. Yeah. Like, but then when he figured out that you really were straight edge, I don't know how that progressed. You can talk about that. It was like the twinkle in his eye. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Partner in yeah. crime. Like, oh my God. Like, you know. We're going to take over. Well, yeah. Like, you, like you, you were like, I can finally date him. Like, <laughs> I mean, seriously. But no, no I mean, it was kind of like that. You realize that, that was, every like time you say something like that, you just give Matt Matsuoka crazy ammunition. That's true. But I mean, this is the <laughs> most like, this is like, how he way. views like, all straight edges. Just... That was how I felt yeah. back then, right? Well, like, we're not, we've only been together like a year, really. Like, and, and to, like, honestly, at the beginning of our relationship was not super stable with where we were living and like things moved really, really fast. Like I was living with you within a few months of meeting you and dating you. That was crazy. Right. And and then I'm thrown into your weird straight edge world that I, I mean, I knew about get, it. You right? got a crash course. Yeah. I mean, I knew about it. I was. Your weird, weird straight edge world. <laughs> it was so weird <laughs> hey, to me. I think that's. And you came into I think it that's and you, fair. and I remember telling him when he came out of the, I'm like, dude, give the guy a break. Like, like this, the, how do you announce that you're straight edge? And I'm, and I'm like, why the fuck would you announce that you're straight edge? Who cares? Like, I still, I mean, you know, at the Around time, it seemed like day? a weird cult to me. What was the mean? day? September 1st. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, September 1st, 1996. But yes, yeah. there was is the a day glint you, in his Is eye. the day you claimed. No, September, well, no, no, it's the day I stopped drinking. Oh. But, I mean, I don't know what day I actually was like, I am straight okay. edge, but. A day when you said, yeah. you, 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 Okay. Uh, but I'll say this, and again, it's just like I think anyone who grew up in a in a place where you felt isolated, but I also I felt isolated, but then I felt socially isolated. But then even within my my group of friends, I felt I hate to use the term like alone in the crowd, right? Because I was the guy that would go to the party and do the thing where everyone afterwards was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that!" Like I was the it's guy so that would hard like, for me to well, but not at the same time. Well, I was the guy that would like get in the fight or like. You know, oh, do whatever. Like yeah. I, I was because again, you know, I'm with kind of a bigger personality, and and definitely, uh, definitely someone who's I'm not going to take a lot of shit from anyone. So put alcohol into the mix, and it's not a good scenario. So even within my group of friends, I was the guy where they were like, you know, we grew up together, so we knew each other, and I, I still know all those guys. But I was definitely one of the one where they're like, if there's one person we need to stop drinking. It's you. You need to stop drinking. But no one ever said that to me because we were all young. We didn't know better. But when I went straight edge, all of my friends were like, yes, that's awesome. Like, you should do that forever. <laughs> don't don't the ones stop. That knew you. Yeah. Was there anyone else up there that was straight edge? There were a few guys and they were super cool because they had been in, into it for a while. Yeah. And so they were really like super, super supportive of me. And because uh, everyone knew, anyone that knew me knew that I had real problems right. with alcohol. And so um, when I did that, it was like a, kind of a big deal. I actually like, I remember doing it and feeling super embarrassed about it because it was drinking was such a big part of my identity, like being that guy. And uh, it was pretty pivotal that trip so it's i know earlier i was laughing it was like my finding myself trip but it was a <laughs> pretty well it was a pivotal trip in the sense of you know i just never i'd never been surrounded by enough people that 
were of that mindset, like that, you know, like, uh, you know, well, straight edge is just a normal thing. It really gave me uh, a sense that, you know, if, if I did this, it wouldn't be something that I'd be totally alone in. And that was super important for me. So uh, in Calgary, everyone was like really supportive. And then when I came out here, I was like surrounded by straight edge people. But that first year was dicey. And I will say that for sure, because I was definitely like really, you know, if I was the kind of guy that if I felt a lot of pressure about something, I would get like, oh, you know, I want to drink and all these things. So I had a lot of difficulty in that first year. that was year. a fallback that you had been used to. Totally. So that first year was really, really tough. So when I eventually moved out here, I had felt I was kind of more tried and true, like I'd made it through that tough year. And of course, when you're that young, you're like, I've made it through that. Year. I've been through the fire, you know? <laughs> and so I got my first straight edge tattoo when I moved out here. <laughs> embarrassing to say first of many, many straight edge And what, which tattoo Why is was it? embarrassing? It? Well, it's just, I mean, I've got a lot of straight edge you tattoos. You have a lot of tattoos. I do. I do. I, I, at one point when I got to like my, like, I don't, I might have. Five straight edge tattoos. Which, which is the I'm first sure. one? Um, the X is on my left arm. Let's, so when uh, I met you, you did not this. have any tattoos. Let's no, I didn't have one tattoo. So yeah, that trip was important for me for sure. And a huge part of why why and how I did a lot of early hardcore was based on saying, hey, you know, if anyone out there ever felt like I did, especially the sense of like feeling less than, because I, unless you felt like that in your life, growing up the way the way I grew up and for any of the listeners, it's not like I grew up on the streets. I just grew up in a really very tough situation and feeling less than is something that's like, it's just this like prevalent thing where, where you go through the day and you just don't weigh yourself to the, you don't hold yourself to the same measure as other people. So straight edge and having those experiences was the thing that was like a great equalizer for me. So, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, straight edge saved my life. And, you know, we all kind of laugh like, oh, that's corny. But straight edge is a really cool thing in a lot of ways, because even at the very basic thing, if you're someone who's really like fucked up and you have a, a tough life, it can help you actually equalize things and, and maybe feel not less than anymore. And it's cool when you can get to a place in your life where you don't have to feel more than or less than you can just be. And that's like a huge thing, I think, for anyone who came up in, in a really tough situation to get that balance. So it was good. Straight Edge was a huge part of that. Very cool. Well, so th I'm, th I'm going to ask kind of some questions. Now that we're now that we're an hour in, we'll, we'll go backwards a little hour? bit. We literally have been talking about the first year we knew each other. <laughs> no, we haven't even made it yeah. through the first year. <laughs> well, OK, so what ends up happening after that is basically Aram becomes almost like part of the family. Shortly thereafter, he starts. And I think being... he spent the entire summer I was gone with you. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And then and then after that, you had a key and every place we've had, you've had a key. And I mean, when you were doing React, you started doing React here at this place. Yep. Is that right? When you first started before you moved over to the React, yep. the React offices? That's I mean, right. it's always just, you've always just been, you know, we, we packed the get the, the most, scene. yeah, we packed the guests, get the most seven inch in uh, the bro zone. The bro zone, the which bro is zone. A, a section of this house we are in currently. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like you've always just been my, um, my Snuffleupagus roommate. Well, we're no longer the Snuffleupagus's. No, that's Snuffleupagi. I think so. I think Snuffleupagi. But you know, like I didn't even wash the sheets in there because I knew you'd be back soon. And <laughs> that's just unhygienic. I'm sorry, but I didn't. <laughs> Fair enough. You also had that horrendous pull-out couch that, oh God, that essentially just formed a V. <laughs> we still have but, it. <laughs> but at the at the at the apex of the V, there was like a ditch. 
And so it was like it wasn't even like you were in like a, a cozy kind of you know oh, hammock. I'm, I'm sorry, my free lodging was not comfortable. Well, I'm just saying you were saying it wasn't free because I paid a price in intense discomfort every time I had to sleep on that thing. Oh, man, it was very expensive. No, it was dirt cheap. <laughs> okay, so here's what here, here's here's how we'll transition. Okay. Um, should people find it strange that you've gone? Um, that you've gone from being this fairly well-known, like hardcore personality, mm-hmm. to having a um, a really celebrated singer-songwriter career in the Portland area. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> the other Aram Arslanian. Wait, that's not you? No, no. Uh, I've been mistaken many times. Uh, uh, so this friend of mine called me up and said, "Hey, man, I really like love your this folk stuff that you're doing i had no idea that you recorded with orphan train and i was like what the hell is an orphan train (laughs) and then i you know pretty much instantly realized it's like oh you're talking about the other aram arslanian and there was a pause on the other end he was like there's actually another aram arslanian i said yes absolutely uh he's a great musician da 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 and then as soon it's like the 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 tone of admiration instantly was out of his voice it was like you turned off a light switch you know like the light he was like oh well then you're just a capable hardcore guitar player and i was like yes that's correct but recently a pub in portland tweeted to me it was like a ram arslanian's playing here on tuesday and and i tweeted back i was like wrong a ram arslanian and of course them being like haha how many a ram arslanian of course it's the same a ram arslanian they actually didn't believe me and just kept tweeting. And I was like, I can't, I'm, I'm, I won't see you on Tuesday. That's not me. It's not a terribly common name. So the fact that there would be two guys of roughly the same age, both involved in music, mm-hmm. is it, is it actually a common name? Does he have hair? No. Oh, no, no. Yes. Yes. yes, yes he does. Yes. <laughs> he has hair. I'm so used to saying that about myself. Um, no, he does have hair. He's, okay. uh, you know, I'm just wondering. Cool looking I'm wondering dude. if he's truly your doppelganger. No, no, no. He's, okay. He's a, a very, very. So it's just in his name and. I think he has a rich mane of hair, in oh, fact. Okay. okay. Um, and he plays folk music and is a very good musician. So he might actually be opposite world around. Yeah. Oh. yeah, Bizarro, Bizarro Ram. There you go. Or perhaps I am the bar- Bizarro Ram for him. I have no idea. I think idea. that's actually probably the way. Oh, it is. Um, but he is a su- successful musician who's very talented. Uh, writes great stuff. I've listened to his music; it's really good. Uh, he's got a mane of hair that's just rich and <laughs> you full. Keep going back to the full rich mane of well, hair. Well, I mean, listen, man. <laughs> <laughs> you maybe crave could, what you don't have. <laughs> maybe, maybe he could get a gig uh, selling uh, Vidal shampoo. Yeah. God, I remember how you struggled with that. Now I'm going to have to throw something out here. Okay. We are at the time. Um, are you Are you enjoying yourself sitting in here? Because I'm enjoying. I'm fascinated at um, what I don't remember. And it, I mean, but when he starts saying it all, it makes total sense. It's like, oh my God, yes, okay. Now I remember where I actually was and when and where. But yeah, I, but I, but I told you I was right. I didn't actually meet him in the flesh till he had moved to Vancouver. That totally and makes was coming sense. Down, so when he and was, I was when gone he was that coming summer, down, he so just it was kept the missing fall you. of '97. It was a real snuff love yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so my question for you is: Do you want to be here for where we go now, or did you want to take the dogs? No, no, you want to be here. Oh, you want to hang? Yeah. The dogs. Can... Is it gonna? I don't think. I don't think it's supposed to be in a Michael and in a ranch. Oh, but it's I, totally I'm, I'm all having right fun for you with to be you. part of this. I'm so having part fun of with you. 
But I feel like I'm I'm somehow an interloper. Somehow I'm. I've, Are you I doing don't. that thing where we're saying stay and you're like no, and then we're like no, we really want you to stay because I'm that girl. Yeah, stay. Just stay. We're having okay, fun. Okay, fine. I'll stay. Your entire life here in in Seattle, the one that affects Dave, is mine too. Yeah. It's, it's very strange. That's Although, why I, I want mean, you to stay. Yeah. Okay. So what we have to do just to maintain some semblance of the format of the show is we got to figure out who you are. Okay, who I am now. Where'd you come from? My Did parents. You, yeah, no. Where Where were you born? Uh, born in Montreal. Uh, grew there until I was five. Moved to Calgary. And so when I was in Montreal, it was when we were surrounded by a lot of family and things were really good in the home. And then we moved to Calgary. Do and, you remember that time? It's up until you're five years old. Yeah, yeah. I remember parts of it. I definitely remember parts of it. And then uh, we moved to Calgary. And uh, I was there until I was, I don't know, 20, I guess. And in Calgary, we were very isolated. So there was not, none of our family was there. And uh, Calgary, where we grew up, was I grew up in a, a neighborhood called Willow Park. And we were one of the very, very few immigrant families there. And not only are we immigrants, but we have totally bizarro sounding names, you know. So I grew up around kids named like Steve and Sally. And then me and my sister come in and we've got these super exotic sounding names. And it was tough right off the bat like lots of it's weird because like i say racism but it's like we're i'm obviously someone that you would identify as being caucasian but just your parents had accents well my dad did and there's just tons of like racist comments all the time and like right off the bat as soon as we moved to calgary was like an uphill struggle and i got tons of fist fights and all this stuff and things unraveled super quick at home like really really bad like bad and they stayed bad for a really long time between you and your parents well between just the family it got it got really bad and so in retrospect looking back on uh, on that stuff i mean everyone did what they could do so no I, I would say certainly not say that um i mean now at this point in my life i have a great relationship with my parents but it was a very tough period from when i was uh, in the home from age five all the way to i mean i moved out of my parents house when i was like in my late teens mm-hmm. maybe yeah when i was in my late teens and uh it was a real rough period for sure so during that whole time i did the thing that people do you know you 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 feel like an outsider you feel like you know because my peer group had rejected me because of you know being a, a foreign or you know being the the immigrant family and then uh, things were really rough at home, so I didn't feel like I had anywhere. I didn't have anything. And so I did the thing that you do. You get into skateboarding, which is awesome. Which is okay, amazing. so what age? I got into skateboarding in grade five. Grade five, so you're mm-hmm. 10? Yeah, I guess so. So that's, that's five years of just try- casting. I mean, you grow, you learn. It's mm-hmm. kind of hard. To, what were you when you were eight years yeah. old, you know? Yeah. But you you identify 10 years old skateboarding as being a big change in your life. Yeah. That's when I started to become who I am today for sure. So I grew up like, you know, you listen to whatever's on the radio, right? So a lot of like the new romantic stuff was coming out like Duran Duran was huge and everything. But I'll tell you the first band that I can remember really being like, that's the band. Like, I love that it. you just said new romantic because no one says that. Right. Right. So we're talking about Duran Duran and, and Adam Ant. Oh yeah, and all what that and stuff. like psychedelic furs. Yeah, all that stuff. Great. I mean that that was what was going on. Yeah, my sister for her birthday got two tapes: the Clash, Combat Rock, and Beastie Boys' License to Ill. <laughs> and, wow! And my my first real sense of like when I started to become like the guy that I am now is when those two tapes entered in our house, 
and I got into skateboarding like either before or around that time. And then all I did after that was listen to those tapes or anything that sounded like that and skateboard constantly. And it was interesting. So it's like she got those tapes and it was almost like I had two paths. I either got really into punk or I got really into rap and I got really into rap (laughs) right off the bat. I got, you know, Run DMC and all that stuff, Public Enemy, like anything that was coming out that was that I could get my hands on. That was my first real love of music, which is ironic totally ironic yeah. by the way that's everything <laughs> you just said was time. awesome yeah but, but i was also reading thrasher a lot and you know there's all of these thrash bands and all those things so i had an interest like i knew i knew about all of these bands you know i and when i say i knew about them i knew about them just because i would read like Passone and all that kind of stuff right mm-hmm. when skateboarding had its big crash uh, when I was, so when I got into skateboarding, it was like a pretty popular thing, but there was a big crash in skateboarding where nobody was into it. And I, of course I was still into it. And so that was like a guy who was already an outcast, even more so of an outcast, which then was like, I deepened my you know absolute love of skateboarding and really, especially that time. And I'm not trying to be that guy that was like, I was into it before you, but I really <laughs> was like the only kid that was into rap in my neighborhood, except for like one other guy. And so I was into skateboarding, I was into rap, uh, into reading Thrasher magazine all the time. And I remember when Thrasher Skate Rock uh, Noise Forest came out and I bought it based on the cover art. And I was like, this is sick. I have to get this. Of course. <laughs> so then I started getting some gateway bands like that. I got kicked out of junior high in grade eight for getting into too many fist fights because um, the thing that skateboarding had taught me and started, you know, started getting skateboard videos and stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, I basically started to take no shit because of skateboarding. And uh, I became the kid that if you picked on me, you better come ready ready to fight. But didn't now, didn't people learn this? Were you in a place where, where people were like, well, that means we're going to pick on him more because we're all going to step up and oh, see? Oh, dude, dude. I like where I grew up, not that Calgary is any different than any other place. It's not like Calgary. Well, they're Canadian cowboys, right? Yes. It's like the Texas of Canada. Okay. So, and by the way, people in Calgary are totally wonderful. This is nothing to do about whether or not it's a good place, but. This was just your experience. It was just my experience. So, (laughs) I grew up, there was no skateboarders in my school, like very, very few skateboarders. And I was just the one that was the most vocal, the most like in your face about stuff. And if you came to me picking a fight or not, if you came to me making fun of me in front of people, you were going to get a fist. Like that was it. And there was no other, there was no other way. So I remember (laughs) the breaking point at the school and the school was actually really cool because they understood I was more so, they knew that I was the one that was like getting back into the corner, but they also knew that I was the one taking it from like maybe a couple of kids making fun of me to like people, you know, smashing each other. So the breaking point was I had this really cool vice principal named Mr. Jones. And he had said to me, listen, I know what's going on. I know why you're fighting. I totally understand. If something's going to happen, you just tell me in advance and I'll make sure it doesn't happen. But there's no way you go to your principal. You <laughs> no, just don't do it. You don't. But, but I, I, Mr. I, Jones, Billy's picking on me. Well, Mr. Br- Jones, like at least he was trying to reach out to this like clearly troubled kid, right? Yeah. And especially at this point, there was like really pitch stuff going on home, like really like bad. So <laughs> one day I got in consecutive fights. <laughs> I got in a fight with one guy. And as I was leaving the fight from that guy, I got in a fight with another guy instantly, like within a 30 minutes, like or 30 seconds span, essentially. <laughs> and 
the one guy, I can't remember his name, but the second guy was this guy, Alan. And I just clocked him, just smashed him. And we just started going at it hard. And the principal's like, you know, there's the principal and the vice principal literally pulled me off him like a rabid dog, like, off of, like, you know, it was like bad. And that was the end. They're like, they kept me in the school that year, but they said, you're done. You can't, you just can't come back here. It's too. And they weren't kicking me out because I was a bad kid. They were kicking me out because it was just too crazy. And so <laughs> I was in the Catholic system. And my mom was a Catholic oh school teacher. God. <laughs> so then you went from public school to Catholic school. No, no, no. Oh, no, that was Catholic school. I was in Catholic school. My mom was a Catholic school teacher, and she wouldn't put me in public school. Oh. So she put me in another Catholic oh. school. And my reputation- Were you wearing a uniform? No, no. no. Okay. Uh, my reputation preceded me, certainly. Okay. And so I went to this school, and the teachers there were like, this kid's bad news. But not like- not like. Wait, so you got to be- you got to arrive at a new school as the bad boy. But not to the students. The students didn't know, but the teachers definitely were like, oh, this oh, kid's- so it didn't really help this kid's a nut. Well, <laughs> I get to this new school, and it was a school that um, was- it was way more diverse than the one that I'd gone to before. So- I was surrounded by tons of kids from different cultures. There was none of the, you know, kind of like weird racist stuff that I'd experienced. But I had just come from a place where I always had to have a chip on my shoulder. So I roll into this place and kind of was like, that guy. And it took me a while before I could chill out a little bit. And the kids that I met there are still guys I know today. They're the guys who eventually were like, thank God you stopped drinking. (laughs) But they were really patient with me because I was like, I was just tough. I was really tough to get along with because I was aggressive. I was like really like not hard edged because that's not the right word but i was like i was just an i was a very prone to get in people's faces if they if they did things so you know this is where i got into punk so i went there and i was into rap really into rap and when i say i was into rap i wasn't into any of the gangster side of it i just liked rap i met this guy matt and he was super into metallica did you ever write your own rap? Yes, certainly. Can you perform some of that for Absolutely us? not. But I was definitely into writing my own rhymes at that time. And I'm totally not kidding. Okay. So let's we just- We know you're not kidding. So, yeah. so what I want people to imagine is if, you, if you're aware of what a ram looks like, um, get that picture in your head. If you're not aware of what a ram looks like, don't Google a ram Arslanian because you'll see thick, lustrous hair. Um, look on the <laughs> blog page for this and you'll see pictures of him here talking to the microphone. And I want you to imagine him on the city bus with a notebook writing his rap, writing yes. his rhymes. Didn't they make a and, movie about Yes. I want you yes. to basically yes. imagine 8 Mile many, many years before. 8 Mile may have actually been inspired by a ram Arslanian. So- this is this is episode ten. Yes. How many other mentions 11. of Eight Mile have there been up to this point? I don't think any. Because there's oh, been, maybe one. There's I been two we, in we this talk- one. There's been two Are mentions. You sure? already. And I think we talked about Eight Mile leading into coming in here. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. If I didn't realize it played that big a role in your life. Well, so we probably saw the movie together. It was in. <laughs> it was in this school that I got into punk, though, like really into punk. Okay. So, I just I just want everyone to know that there was a time when a Ram was writing his own rhymes mm-hmm. and he <laughs> thought he was going to be a rapper and you probably performed those for people. You, did you rap no, for anyone? No. No one ever not. heard you rap. No one ever heard you rap. It was just rap. you in the mirror? Yes. In the bathroom? Probably. With a with a brush. I definitely I definitely had like, you know, I would definitely rap to myself. What was your rap name? I can't remember, man. You're just saying. I I actually am just saying. I totally remember, but I will not reveal that here. 
it was a ludicrous thing. Regardless, we'll go on to the next part. <laughs> so this is what we want. I go to the school. Okay. And this is where you get into punk. I go into punk. And I you meet... abandon your rap persona. Not not entirely. <laughs> okay. I meet this guy named Matt Lutmer. Uh and his brother Toby was older than us and had all these punk records. I got way more into thrash. I was like, I was really into like Metallica and like, you know, DRI and, and that went on for quite a while that I was much more into that kind of stuff. Cause that was the skate rock connection. Right. Cause I'd started, I'd already started getting into that stuff a bit when I was at my old school, but I got really, really into thrash. Um, and I got, but the transition band for me was agnostic front and agnostic front game changer, still one of the best, best bands of all time. So by the end of grade nine, I was like bona fide into thrash and then also, you know, some punk and hardcore. And then after that, it was a very, very quick transition then into, you know, proper hardcore and punk. And uh, yeah, that was it. Never looked back. So how do you feel about rap now? I can't believe anyone will be interested in listening to all this stuff about me, but but. Uh, how do I feel about rap now? I don't. I don't particularly like it. No, I like. I like early rap. You still I still like all the stuff you I, loved. When I you like were the then. stuff that I grew up on. I, yeah. you know, when people, everyone now is like, oh my god, I feel like an old man saying this. But you know, in in hardcore, a lot of people love rap, and and they have all these records that you know. I don't know what any of these bands sound like. I don't listen to it. I just I li- what I listen to is old rap that I grew up on, and then I listen to like Agnostic Front. And then, of course, I listen to nice stuff like, you know, Morrissey and the Smiths and everything. But you listen to Judge. Oh, Judge is like one of the greatest bands of all time. I'm saying I still listen to tons of hardcore. Like hardcore, I, I'm i not like an older guy that listens to hardcore once in a while. I listen to hardcore every single day. I love hardcore. Incredible form of music. I love punk. I listen to it all the time. And you're one of those guys that really loves Morrissey, too. And I love Morrissey. I love the Smiths. I love like, you know, Low. And I like I like, I like like lots of stuff. But typically what I like is like, very kind of dreary indie rock. See, I think it's interesting that you that you mentioned that whole new romantics thing at the beginning mm-hmm. before your sister got those tapes, right? Yeah. That that was making an impression on you because it does make sense that you would dig Morrissey in the Smiths. Oh, yeah. yeah I, tell, I mean, I, I got into that stuff when I was in junior high. Um, you know, when I say rap was rap was predominantly what I liked. But of course, you know, any kid of that age liked the Smiths. You know, it's what you heard all the time in The Cure and all these bands. Well, and I think this is kind of why the two of you clicked, too, because every band he named is a band that you love, right? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, music has always been you guys' weird link. Yeah. But all, all of that stuff, I mean, all of these experiences, it's what drove me into um, getting into counseling, getting my degree in psychology, going, doing like all the type of work I did. It's all these like early experiences of feeling like pushed aside or rejected and then having to find that way and then as i got older hardcore has always played the idea for me that anything i can do to make some other kid not have to feel how i felt or or kids that already feel that way but give them a path that has been like the majority of the stuff that i write is more about that kind of stuff um and it's what's led to my career now and so you know anyone can say like oh I'm thankful for everything that happened. But and I, when you, know, you say yeah. your career now, you're not yeah. talking about your music career. No. You're talking about the, what you do for yeah. a living now, which we'll, we'll get to in a minute. But I want to ask something. This you you have talked about skateboarding. You talked about getting into rap, getting into, and then getting into thrash and hardcore mm-hmm. and all that. Um, and I'm assuming that all you start skateboarding at 10 or 11 years old. All of this happens as you're becoming a teenager. When do you start drinking? Mm-hmm. I started drinking. I think pretty much when kids start drinking. I think I started drinking at like 13. How are you getting it? Um, 
<laughs> there were these really bad kids that lived down the street from my parents' house. I mean, they were like bad, bad. Like I was always mischievous, but never like bad, you know? And uh, they were animals. They're actual animals. <laughs> and they didn't have parents that lived in their house. Their parents had a farm outside of uh, outside of Calgary. And they would spend half the time there and half the time in, in the city. And they would leave. Just their leave the kids there. It's 13-year-old farm. kids. No, they leave the 13-year-old kids in the city. Oh. Because their school was so close. And they had no supervision. It was insane. And so I would go to their house and they'd have alcohol. And then also I started. I did the thing. I stole some alcohol from my parents' house. But the really funny thing is I was, I was very nervous about alcohol. I was very nervous about smoking and all those things. And I, when I chose to do, to dive headfirst into it, like I remember actually like making a choice like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to drink there. Or I'm actually going to get drunk. It was a super weird, super weird thing. And it had tons to do about just feeling like, oh, you know, like I, I feel on the outside of everything. I feel rejected. Like if I do this thing, this is what all the kids are doing. Like, you know, this is how I will find my place there. And then, of course, it went to all the places where it went, right? Yeah. But so, if you started at 13 mm-hmm. and you stopped drinking and then became straight edge at 21, mm-hmm. we're talking about seven or eight years of, yeah. of did you get into drugs too? Eh, mildly, like not not problematically. And the the interesting thing was for the majority of uh, the or like the drinking, I'd say, it was pretty tame. Until it wasn't. It wasn't like a big increase over time. It was tame, 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 and then bang, bad. But it was tame for quite a while. And then probably grade 11, it was when it got started getting like bad and it got bad really, really fast. And of course, that's when vehicles start coming in. Yeah. I mean, you're able to get around. You're able to get stuff more. Yeah. And so uh, it got it got pretty nuts. And then we kind of know the story from there. Yeah. You come from Calgary to Vancouver to go to school mm-hmm. and you're straight edge. Mm-hmm. You're coming down to the States all the time. Mm-hmm. And then, well, then I put you in an edge of quarrel. Mm-hmm. You're one of the straight edge guys in the rumble. Yeah. Well, that's about when I meet you. <clears throat> and then not too long after that. Well, okay. There is something between there. You form a hardcore band up in Vancouver. Yeah. So I've been playing in, in hardcore bands in Calgary. and the first Oh, you had been playing there. When did you start playing music? I started playing music when I was 15. I played the first band that I ever played in was a band called All Rights Reserved. Right. And uh, it was, we started off trying to sound like Seven Seconds. Like we were like the worst version of Seven Seconds that ever, <laughs> that's ever existed. But by our last demo, um, this is when things like, um, at both ends were, were like I remember getting stalemate and being really uh, undertow stalemate and being really um, inspired by it and then the strain records were coming out so by the end of it we were trying to sound a bit like that and we were banned for a while where I think we were banned for three years and the first tour I ever did was with that band we played Vancouver Seattle and Portland and in Seattle in Vancouver we played with Indian Summer and uh, do you remember they're a big oh deal. yeah we played with them in Vancouver, and then in Seattle, we played with Los Crudos, and I met Ron Gardepi at that show. Nice. And I bought At Both Ends from Damien on Blue, hmm. and then uh, we played Portland with Jay Hawker and Christopher Robin. Wow. In, a, in the basement? Robin? In the basement of the powerhouse. Oh, yes. I was at that show. That's where I bought the Jay Hawker demo off of them, and I met Bill Baker at that show. Oh, you- and you, him and him and all of their friends were wearing short pants. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were <laughs> cut off. All the, there, yeah. Wait. 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 Okay. So. <gasps> wow. I 
am either at that show. No, you were not at that show. Or I've uh, the pictures have seared into my memory, and I think I was at that show from the photos that I got. From I it. have I have photos from that show. Yeah. Oh, we have to find them. Um, I I I have photos of me at that show with a full head of hair wearing a <gasps> gorilla biscuit shirt. Oh my god! Wait, so you were in that? You I at think the show? so. At, in Powerhouse in Portland. Yeah, we would go down for shows. I mean, so I could, for Robin. Yeah. I, this might jog your memory. This is where I became first aware of the term freegan. And I first heard the term freegan because there was that little place that sold yeah, uh, like absolutely. $1 cup. There was a dollar yeah. store like a block and a half from the powerhouse, right? Yeah. And they said freegan there. Yeah. Well, this dude. Well, well, people would say freegan because they'd get. And then I believe you used it later. You actually practiced it. I never practiced it. No. no. This is the thing, no. though. No. It didn't make because... sense to the store because they'd buy stuff at the store. But then if someone bought it and gave it to you, it was yes. freegan. Yo, yeah. Because I hate posers. And I've always hated posers. <laughs> and I will tell you, the first time a dude said freegan to me, I called him a poser. Yo, <laughs> and, and check this out. I'll tell you the exact story. Explain we, what a freegan is uh, in case there's someone listening and well, doesn't know what we're talking about. I think the modern definition of freegan has changed yeah, as, as, as want to happen. But at the time, what it was, was that you were vegan mm-hmm. unless it was free. Right. And the idea being you didn't let things go to waste. You know, this is some bullshit. <laughs> so I, like, I'm vegan. And like, if someone was like, oh, this meat's going to go to waste, I'll be like, well, you shouldn't have killed that animal. I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to eat this delicious thing. Fuck that. However, we're at this thing. We're at this. Dude, there's so many things from this tour. I would take three hours to tell. We are we are these essentially hicks from Calgary. <laughs> and we're just like, oh, what? Heck, what is this stuff? Like, <laughs> we're playing this show in a basement. And in Calgary, we're used to playing like big shows with like, in venues with stages and sound because punk bands in Calgary did really, really well. So we're playing this basement and we're psyched. We're like, Oh, this is, you know, this is really cool. They had a, a potluck, a vegan potluck at the thing. Yep. And we were like, okay. And then there was because a they did food, not bombs out of there. Yep. I believe there was a huge scandal because someone brought a dish with meat and we all, <laughs> we all ate meat at the time. And we were like, what are these wimps freaking out about? And people were like, literally like, Oh my God, can you believe like Steve brought something with meat? (laughs) And then one of these dudes who had said something to me about veganism or whatever, sits down with this like casserole and is just like chomping away. And I was like, Oh dude, I heard that had meat in it. He's like, yeah, I'm freaking. And I was like, what is that? He tells me. And I was like, yo man, you're a poser. (laughs) Do you remember who it was? uh, I believe it might've been someone from Christopher Robin. Or someone who was associated with their crew. I think it was someone who came and played trumpet during one of their songs. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> legit. And I might be wrong about that, but I legit called whoever it was a poser right to their face. And oh. and and I'm going to tell you something. This is like young Aram who would get in anyone's face yeah. at, about anything. Yeah. And not that I cared about veganism at all, but I hated posers. I always hated posers. Like, <laughs> oh, this dude's a poser. Because you were that dude. You got in fights at school. Right. And when I told him that, he was like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yo, let I- me tell you something, dude. There may have been a conversation about whether or not you needed to be kicked out of the powerhouse because you were making an uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Absolutely. Man. I will also tell you. We sp- I have been in those conversations in the powerhouse in the past. Dude, I will also say that we stayed at the goat house. And that's where I met dude so from. Weird. I met from the dude from the Murder City Devils. Um, Dan. Dan. Yeah. Wait, no. Who's the dude with the devils tattooed Dan. on his throat? Dan, Dan Gallucci. Dan Gallucci. Dan. Okay, I Guitar met him. Player. 
Yeah, I mm-hmm. met him um, at that at the goat house, and he was super cool, really great. We stayed at the goat house for a long time because we had a lot of space between our shows, and we definitely outstayed our welcome, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> and Yara played there. And we were really into Downcast. And then I remember meeting them and being like, oh, these dudes are turds. Like, it was weird because, like, we met these people. And we weren't out of, like, kind of rock star thinking. Like, oh, if you put a record out, you're a big band. You know, we 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 were just too isolated to get that thinking. So we'd meet these people and I'd be like, holy crap. Like, when I met Ron Gardepi, I was like, oh, my God, it's Ron from Brotherhood. This is insane. And he was totally cool, just super down to earth. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then we met, like, I met the singer of Struggle. <laughs> I met the singer of Struggle, and I really like Struggle. And I met the dude from Struggle. I was like, yeah, this dude looks like Cookie Monster. Like, <laughs> what, the, what, what is up with this? And then, <laughs> like, I met all these dudes and was like, it was just confusing because I was a real black and white thinker about people. And this had a lot to do with, again, like, you know, in punk and skateboarding and all those things, I needed clear role models of like, these are what good people look like. So I would always put that on other people. And it wasn't until I was way older that I realized, you know, these are just normal people just like you. Right. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a funny thing. So I met Bill Baker and all those guys during that time. Nice. And I, they were all wearing short pants, like every one of them. Oh yeah. yeah. Bill, Bill would wear overalls cut to short. Pants. Yeah. I, like I remember everyone wearing corduroy pants, and they were all cut short and literally being like, these people all look like Steve Urkel. Like, they, <laughs> and like, you got you to keep in mind, we were like dudes who were used to getting in fights. Like, so we were just like, what is with these people? <laughs> How come no one's beating them? <laughs> it was like, it was weird, man. It was weird. So that was my first tour. And Anyways, so you're fa- like, I got to go back to that place. <laughs> <laughs> well, fast forward years later, moved to Vancouver, like many, many years later. Well, then moved you to and Vancouver. I just didn't run into each other on that the whole time. Yeah. We so we just tour. satellited each other, all of us, absolutely. actually. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I loved, I still have my Jayhawker tape, which Jayhawkers, like that demo is unbelievable and it's criminal. They haven't let that be released properly because it's unbelievable. But Jayhawker was also a big influence in my in the the way I played hardcore, getting a little heavier and a little bit uh, mu- more musical because they were good musicians too, and we were terrible musicians. How did you learn to play music? I just picked up a guitar. Um, we started a band. We started a band because that's what you did. And it was guitar, not bass. No, it was bass. You was started bass. playing bass. I started playing bass. Um, anyway, so move out to Vancouver. Years later, I started a youth crew band called Face Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We were terrible. <laughs> I'll I'll argue that. Well, it was something. <laughs> It was something. We'll say that. It was in Face Tomorrow. Um, oh, before Face Tomorrow, though, the second proper tour I ever went on was with Trial. They took me on a West Coast tour as a roadie, and they taught me how to be in a touring band. And I can say there are things that I still do today that were learned on that Trial tour of how to properly be in a band. And they were great. It was an incredible experience. And then I started my youth group band. And we were awful. And we did a full U.S. tour on a demo tape. Six-week U.S. tour on a demo tape. Because if anyone, for any of you who don't know me, if I'm like, hey, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do that thing. No matter what it is. Oh, like so true. So if I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna climb that mountain, I'm going to climb that mountain. But if I'm going to go on a U.S. tour, I will go on a U.S. tour even if I'm playing a cardboard banjo. Uh, this is what I'm going to do. So we go on the six-week U.S. tour. <laughs> It was awesome um, and terrible, and we did a lot of cool things. We got to play with In My Eyes in Boston. We did a bunch of shows with Bane, and they were very kind. They really took care of us. Um, and I met a ton of people 
that I would go on to become very good friends with when I was in Champion. Finish that tour, come home, trial's broken up, uh, Champion is playing, Tim Mack asked me to join Champion, we're off to the races. Yeah, I can you remember told me that, yeah. I'm going to play, was it bass? Bass. Yeah. I'm going to play bass in Champion. You were so excited. Actually, I wasn't, and I'm going to tell you what. No, I was you were. E- I was excited to play in a band that people cared about, because yeah. no one ever cared about any band I played in. Um, but I, I didn't think I felt strangely wary of this situation. Yes, and I, I, I voiced it to you. Are you sure that's a good idea? Yes, I, I wasn't a big fan of the band. I was, right. I was oh, a I fan of the people too. of the yeah. band, but I wasn't a fan of the band. But uh, yeah, it all worked out. Well, and and but I think champion that's how you were excited though. Yes. The thing yeah. is, you came in at a great time because champion definitely became something. I mean, that was you. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I feel like I lived. Eric that. Markley once said, "It takes a Canadian to make Champion a good band." Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, all the all the elements were there. Or all, it took a Canadian to yeah. make Champion a good band. All the elements. And were there. that right about that time, Stay Gold was on the rise, mm-hmm. and you guys became this awesome like friends slash rivals band thing, which forced both bands to basically get better and better. No, no, that was only on their side. We were never in a rivalry with them and and by the way i love stay gold put out their first record i consider those dudes friends like no no issue but i never felt rivalry rivalry towards them because i put out their record and i helped get them on a lot of our our tours now you know we we shape history a little bit on this show right because we're the only ones that know what happened right? right so this is a little bit of history revisionism right there's no way to avoid that and i'm going to tell you that champion and stay gold were sort of Hosoi versus Tony Hawk of the hardcore scene in the Northwest. Like, you know, Hawk could go, or, or Hosoi could, could, could fly higher, but Hawk had the technical abilities, you know, and it was every, every competition you didn't know who was going to eke out the win. I, I don't know about that because I'm going to, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I believe everyone in Stay Gold was a tenfold better musician than anyone in Champion, except for Todd, the pre boss, who's an incredible, like a really good drummer. But those guys are really good musicians. And I seriously, like, I just punch guitars. Like, I don't have a very much... I, I can play basic hardcore. Um, they're a band that I think could have and should have been a way bigger than they were. It was just the way things unfolded. Um, but the thing, there was not a rivalry. But you're talking about what they became. Right. And but, I'm talking about while you both, both those bands were rising. But here's a pivotal thing to remember. And I will say, Chad, who is the singer of State Gold, was Jim's best friend. So he wasn't competitive with his best friend. Posse Chris, there's not a competitive bone in his body. He's just a lovely person, and he would want everyone else to be. Well, I think you're automatically assuming that it, that's a negative thing. No, no. Oh, <clears throat> oh no. Just I'm just uh, let me explain something. Because we were seen as as having a, a competitive thing, but we really champion was really not competitive. Stay gold, and this is a, an important point for me, because especially me. I am not competitive with people, but I'm incredibly competitive with myself. That is that is a, a true trait of myself, but I'm never competitive against other people. I want other people to do well. So the two bands, I think, existed in great harmony because of that for the most part. And we did a lot of cool stuff together, and they're a very, very cool band and an important chapter of the, of the Northwest Hardcore story. But do you mean that they, like, they pushed each other to become better Absolutely. bands. Because I think that's what you were trying well, to say. Because we that's were, exactly how I remember Because it it. no one wants to... When you guys would play a show together, you'd play Ground Zero or something, yeah. right? And you wouldn't be like, 
I hope we play second best tonight. No, we were great peers. Yeah, we we yeah. definitely, as they upped their game, we upped but our game. But I think game. that's what he means by rivalry. It's not totally. really a rivalry. It's more not like, like and I, it's not a competition. It's more like playing darts with each other. It wasn't that you like, wanted the other one to lose. Yeah. You just wanted to win. And those aren't always totally different Well, and you guys things. played off each other because sometimes you opened and sometimes I, they Well, opened. I like the version, Michael Ann, that yeah. you're telling better than the one. Dave is phrasing it in a way where it's like, I don't think of things like winning versus like, I just, just not the, I just don't think that way. No, but we joke way. around that way though and there was a lot of joking around back then and in a way that if you were looking at it from the outside you could have seen it as those guys are rivals or something perhaps that was a very special time for me though so i don't it's i only use those words because it's just there's a lot of different ways we can say it oh totally i like the analogy that the comparing it to the hasoy hawk thing because it's not like those guys were enemies yeah every you know people other people would pick sides people looking in on it would pick sides Mm -hmm. and they'd say oh it sucks you know or whatever but Come on. Everybody benefited by both of those guys getting great. Everybody benefited yeah. by Champion and, and Stay Gold becoming relevant bands that, re, that you know, started up this whole new era of Northwest Hardcore, oh, yeah. restarted it. Yeah. Well, and no, made it made it new and fresh. I mean, I'm not a hardcore girl. I don't really like hardcore. Everything I know about hardcore, Be careful what you say. I learned from you, too. I mean, almost <laughs> exclusively, really. That's the only reason I know most of it. I mean, yeah, Minor Threat, whatever. I mean, there was stuff that I was introduced to and that I do like, but seriously, it was, it was champion and me being able to like, that was, I feel like I lived that. I totally did to some degree. And hell, I even saw you play in Europe. Yeah, that's on right. A boat. That's right. In the, on the river Sen, that was strange. You but, know, uh, you know, that song on a boat was about us. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. That's a, Hey, that's a real song. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's, a, it's experiential. It's a lived experience. <laughs> no, Wait, but, but I say it's a real song because I think once you were scolded in the past that it wasn't a real song and you should stop singing it. <laughs> um, Jim, we when we played on a boat, Jim definitely yelled "sink this ship" during the breakdown, <laughs> and, and and kids moshed so hard that so you could hard. see like the ship would go like this and water, you know, the little portals. So you'd see like the water. It was scary, actually. It was pretty hard. It, it was a little scary. Actually. It was, it was Paris. A lot of hard. This this was in Paris, and man, and, and it was the punks furious. over there, they're nuts. Yeah, they the, throw beer out here. They well, that was at a rocket from the crypt show, okay. but whatever. Yeah. But they still do. France. They did there too. Yeah, the punks in France were no joke they at that not. time. That no. show was totally sick, and it was a little scary. There were a couple of scary sink guys there. Ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sink, sink, sink this ship. Mm-hmm. The the guy who put on the show, his name is Philippe. And he is a skinhead, a straight edge skinhead from Paris. He's still around, still straight edge, still doing stuff. And uh, he has a sham sham sixty nine tattoo on your on his throat, oh, at, yes, as one I does. Remember this guy, as one does. <laughs> How would you forget that? <laughs> and when he came out, he walked out of the ship, and it was a cold, rainy day. He was wearing a pea coat, and he walked out a solitary figure. And everyone in the van looked at me and said. Go talk to him. I was like, "Why do I have to talk with him?" They're like, "Well, you're like the guy, man. You do this." And and I went out there with Michael and the two of us walked out. Uh-huh. And I was like, "Hello, hello, I'm the champion." He was like, "I won't even do a French accent." No, but he was like, "Oh, awesome!" And he was the nicest guy. Yeah, he was so nice. you translated Michael. Ann? Um, we, he and I spoke a little bit better than well, his English was quite good, so he and I did speak a little bit. But I didn't really need to. But there was some, a couple of times where there was like some questions about. I was just hoping you would give yeah. us some French, like an example of a French sentence you might have said why, to him. Why would you? Why that would, a skinhead, a French skinhead. Why said. would you make me do that? That 
No. <laughs> um, I will always, say, I always try to get Michael on to speak French around me. She won't do it. Like, I know she speaks fluent French and she won't speak French. Well, me. At this point, we're very far off topic, but I'll say like. <laughs> what topic? I'll say like, this show was totally insane. Like, um, Philippe, It really was. Philippe did such a great job. He, he was always just such a gracious, really great guy. And I met friends uh, like my friend Nico, who I'm still friends with now years later. Uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a there was and maybe still is a very rich uh, skinhead scene um, mm-hmm. in uh, in in Paris where it was just like really rich with tradition and history and wonderful people and so there was a band called from there called Hard Times another one called Last Quiet Time apparently they like to talk about now, time a lot I always feel like whenever skinheads get mentioned um, because I, most people who listen to this podcast are gonna know what we're talking about mm-hmm. but. The, the concept of skin of a, of a racist skinhead is a tiny, tiny fraction of actual skinheads. Well, those aren't real skinheads. Yeah. Those aren't like, real skinheads. No, no. Yeah. Real skinheads are like, you know, anti-racist, uh, mm-hmm. you know, anti-oppression, all those things. And, and there's still a lot of them. Working class yeah. dudes. Yeah. And this, you know, it, it was just a great, great time. But playing on a, a ship, it was one of many ships we ended up playing. Uh, but it was the first time we ever played on a boat. And it, it was surreal. It was totally surreal. How, how many boats have you played on? Like multiple, I have no idea. I will tell so you so many you've lost count. Yeah, but it's not like I'd say I'd be. I think it's no more than five, but it might be. I mean, it's been a while. I will say that we played on a ferry in um in Gothing Gothenburg, where the city that In Flames is from, and um this is when it was like our it was our second European tour. Um, I had my wireless. Chris and I started playing wirelesses, um, which may sound corny. And actually, may be corny. I'm not sure, but it was dope because we could do a lot of cool stuff. Um, a lot of cool stage moves. Well, here's the thing: the show had been well attended, but we had missed for whatever reason. We showed up hours late, and so three quarters of the kids had left. So there was only like I don't know, like 30 kids left at the show. But they stuck around for hours to see us, and I ran through the crowd with my wireless because we we're playing on the floor. I ran through the crowd to the back of the venue. And it was all hardwood floors and then ran back at the crowd. They didn't know which direction they should be facing. Should they face the band or should they face this idiot who's just ran away from them? <laughs> and I came running back and did a flying jump onto my knees and slid through the crowd playing guitar like Marty McFly. But the crotch of my pants burst open at the same time. <laughs> so I, f- I, I, I was slid through the cl- crowd playing guitar. Not doing a solo because I can't play solos, but through the crowd playing guitar with a like my burst open crotch, like both delighted and horrified at the same time. Were you and, were you tackle out? No, no, no. Okay. I, everything stayed where it should have been. And and as I came, like I slid through, I landed at the feet of Posse Chris, the other guitar player champion, who looked down at me and just gave me the most the most Posse Chris nod, like good work, son. Well done. Well played. I can nice. so Probably imagine do. it. Yeah, it was it was very funny. So we played on we played on on and that on was on a boat. Boats. Yeah, we played on many boats. Yeah, you went on tour with Champion. I did. Yeah, you went on tour. Two thousand three. Yeah, it was that was okay, that Hellfest was. and Posse numbers. Yeah, you saw some stuff, man. That that I summer, I did see some stuff. That was cool. Okay, so I went on a short like two week thing out to the East Coast with you guys. No, that was a full U.S. tour. I wasn't on the full thing though. Or maybe it was a two-week tour, yeah. just out to the East Coast and back. And it was, we, we drove straight out to Minneapolis. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then went from there. Did we have one of our pool parties out there? 
Yes. Yeah. There was. A, we started the pool. Blood. <laughs> Wait, that's right. Someone got hurt. And pa- dude, someone. Pacey Pace, got hurt. Pacey got hurt, and uh, whoever's house we were staying Rachel. at, her father called him Blood, right? Yeah, Rachel, who I'm still friends with, and is and yeah. May, may listen to this if you're if you're listening, Rachel. Hello. Nice. Uh, we talked about. I talked about that house actually on the Rocky episode, which is episode two of this podcast. Because when I went to go get rubber bands t- for the the shirts, I got in Rachel's friend's car, and she turned on her car, and Rocky Votolato was playing. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. so cool. And so I was, you know, like I said, I I, I tried to be really cool about it. As I was like, this is my good friend Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> um. So no, that was good. So how did Betrayed come about? Um. So I was playing in Champion, and um. It's interesting. So Jim and I, uh, the singer of Champion, we did not get along when we were Champion, I, you know, for a variety of reasons. Right? I remember well, <laughs> very well. <laughs> you know, not so much now, but definitely when I was younger. And we've talked about this a few times. I was way more in in your face. But I, part of why I've been able to do a lot of stuff in life is because I'm just I'm a hard worker. I believe in hard work. I believe in setting goals and getting them done, and driving really hard. And it's just part of my nature of who I am. And Jim is the same way in a lot of ways. It's just that um, we would find each other, we would just end up like butting heads a lot. And now it's funny because Jim lives in Canada and that's funny for a variety of reasons. <laughs> it is but, so true. Uh, Jim is uh, one of my best friends and we spend tons of time together. So, And you're in a band together again. We're in a band together again. But towards um, around when Betrayed started, I was feeling really burnt out on Champion because we've been touring a ton and doing a lot of stuff. And being in a lot of conflict with Jim often was getting tough um, for both of us, not, you know, because any issue we had was equally my my fault for sure. Like we were we were both we were both tough on each other. So Betrayed was cool because it was, seemed like this idealized situation. Todd Jones, who I was good friends with uh, and still good friends with, he is just an incredible musician. And we we're good friends from Car- when he was in Carry On and uh I can't remember whose idea it was. We said, hey, let's do something. And then he sent me some songs and it just happened really, really fast. And we just put out this record and everyone loved it and everyone freaked out and it was great. And it was cool because Champion was at our peak when that record came out. And there was still a lot of life left in Champion, but I also had this other thing and that that other thing relieved a lot of the Champion pressure on me because um, I had this other thing that I could just put a lot of energy and and passion into. And so that was cool. And uh, yeah, that went on for a while and then it went, you know, it went how things go. And is is it done? Oh uh, no, no, no. I wouldn't. I'll, I I don't think so we'll. It, I don't, it's it's not active, but it it exists. Yeah, in yeah. the realm of the possible. I don't think Betrayed will ever not be a band, but I also don't know if we'll ever play a show again. So I think it's more at the point now where we put out a, a record a few years ago, and it's a cool record. I'm real happy with it. And then Todd's in nails, and Todd has two kids and a serious family life, and he really he he's a really hard worker so whatever he's focusing on is his main focus so of course he's focused on his family and then nails is just i believe one of the most important incredible bands that exist so he's focused on that who knows i wouldn't be surprised if betrayed played a show or played a few shows or put out a record and i also wouldn't be surprised if we never did anything again so but i I certainly don't think we're like broken up i wouldn't say that okay so anything can happen yeah all right give a Fairly quick overview of how React Records came about, why you did it, and what basically was your like what went on with that label. Um, so my friend Bubs Kyle Deville uh, was in a band called Get the Most, loved the seven inch, 
and they had a demo that was unreleased and I, and just on a whim i said yo bobs let me put out the record and he was like oh yeah oh yeah that's a great great idea rm what do you put out the record that's a fantastic bobs <laughs> we're leaving that in oh yeah no uh, i'll talk as <gasps> i will do my bobs impersonation anytime okay. oh hey <laughs> Uh, that's all there is. He doesn't say anything. He just says, oh, hey, oh. No, no. He says a lot of stuff. Bob's is a very, very smart guy. I'm just, you know, he talks like this. Hey. Oh, um, hey. And this is your second label. You had a label called Anchor Records. Yeah. And you put out a number of things. Put out some things. Um, Anchor was a real cool record label, but I just didn't have time to do it because right. it's when Champion started doing all that stuff. Um, so this is React is post-Champion. And um, just on a whim, I was like, yo, Bob's, I'll put out your record. Put it out. Sold out in like three days. Uh, press 500 sold out in three days and i was like well that's cool and the whole idea was to just put out one-time pressings of, of bands i thought were interesting and uh it very quickly couldn't be that anymore because uh, mindset was the band that changed that because they were the third release and they started touring and doing stuff and i had to repress their record and uh suddenly there was all these bands and all these people interested about the record label and it it started legitimately on a whim because i wanted to do something fun with bubs and Oli, who was and get the most is like i one of my very good friends and so it was just fun doing stuff with them and uh it turned into this thing so one release turned into another the next thing i knew well we were doing the label from your guys's house you know uh in the living room or in the bro zone i, I kind of feel like react was part mine yeah no it was great i mean, it was I mean amazing. it's true it's, it was so interesting to i mean i you know when i met dave there was excursion and you were doing it but it was so small really compared to what you did mm-hmm. i mean to see those when the when UPS or whatever would come to my house with these just giant amounts of boxes stepped on the front door or uh, in the on the front porch and you'd be like on the phone like open one like take it out and listen to it and like tell me does it sound good uh, it was so weird to like live through that so I, you know I I was trying to explain it to someone recently someone who's like a total civilian not part of hardcore at all total civvy and they were like you know, you've done a lot of you've done a lot of stuff um is it weird for you to not do stuff now? And I was like, absolutely not. Because I'm going to tell you when you're in the mix and someone delivers and you're playing in like a punk band or you have an indie label and someone delivers 3000 records at your doorstep or your friend's doorstep, it comes with the recognition that you yourself are assembling those 3000 <laughs> oh records yourself with, with whoever you can con and yeah, with a crew that you've, yeah. you've, and how many times oh. were we sitting in there watching some movie, like stuffing some, oh, you know, totally. liner in there? So yeah. uh, the the label got big fast, did tons of stuff. And uh, when it was at its peak, we had our own space. We, we had a master bedroom in a house that was like, you know, had proper shelving, lined with T-shirts, lined with stuff. Um, it was quite the operation. Yeah, we had, I had four paid staff, I guess you'd say. But they like I paid them every month. And uh, they all worked part time for the label, and uh, it was great. It was incredible, and it was such a cool time. Again, it was it was a different time. So it's long after Champion State Gold. It was like a resurgence from then, right? And get the most was doing stuff, and the scene wasn't big, but it was super creative. And yeah, React, React was awesome. I, I'd say it was the it was the last mm-hmm. time that I could fully put everything i had into music you know i i was working as a counselor at the time but every penny i had went into react it was cool Mm -hmm. and then i eventually you know moved it over to evan so react still exists react exists uh evan uh wivel or wevel is now the label owner he's the singer of mindset uh react was way too cool to end but i didn't want to keep doing it anymore uh it was it was and is i think one of the most just awesome record labels and um Evan and I well, talked. you would tell me 
I'm going to stop doing React. Mm-hmm. And I would always react badly to that. You would react badly? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would. Yeah. And yeah. you threatened a lot. Like, wow, you did. who did I threaten? <laughs> to yourself. Like, I'm going to quit. This. I can't keep doing this record. I think and I'm going to stop doing it. Yeah, I'd be this like, is the last you can't release. Stop doing it. And then, and then, like, you'd be like, no, no well, I got in. Well, maybe the next thing. Is that we'll a, do you think that's a fair assessment? It, well, I mean, you make a threat like I was like, oh, you kids, I'm going to take away our <laughs> no. toys. It's like, you got to think about it. I was doing a master's degree. You were just so oh, overloaded. Yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. know how you did it. I, I have was, no idea. I was working full time as a counselor. So like all week I was hearing just gnarly stories. I was doing my master's degree at the time. I was living in Canada and driving down every weekend to pack mail order. Right. It's touring the band with the cardboard banjo that you mentioned before. I, I think your thinking mm-hmm. was if you couldn't maintain the current level of intensity, it should not exist right. totally. rather and than you, exist at a lesser level. And you right. thought for a long time that you couldn't maintain it, but yet somehow you kept doing it. Right. And that's that's like that is m- me as mm-hmm. a human being that whatever I do, I do a full bore. I do it in a way that I see um, as being really an honest pursuit where it's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to put all of my, all of my, uh, the wind into it that I can, all of the wind will be in the sales and I don't do things half-assed ever. And even, and that's why it's hard for me to do anything just casually. So, um, <laughs> you, put, you put your whole, your whole heart into everything. Yeah. I don't yeah. do a lot of things casually. So you mentioned at the time, at this time when you had too much stuff going on, you were a counselor. Yeah. Um, Tell people about this is your other life. This is the life that people maybe don't know as much about, like what you do for what you were doing at the time for a living. Well, uh, little known or I don't know, maybe people might do know this before champion went like full time, quote unquote, full time. I finished school and uh, I went and did a, um, a a English degree and a psych degree. And so the one of the coolest things was that I actually had a job before I left my full time counseling job to go be in a punk band. And I was in a neat position that I think a lot of people don't get to be in where I wasn't freaked out about what would happen when the band broke up because I would just go back to being a counselor. So Champion went and did its thing and then I came back and I was a drug and alcohol and mental health counselor. So I worked with you know pretty serious stuff all the time. And then when I was doing React, um, I wanted to move up in the counseling world and take on more serious roles. So I was doing my master's at the time and uh, I finished React right as I left counseling. So I'd been a counselor for 10 years. And then I moved into a new a new role in the private sector, and uh, now essentially I'm like a, a counselor for for uh, companies. I go in, and uh, it's not therapy, but I do what's known as executive coaching, and I do very high level executive coaching. I work with typically I work with only senior executives, and very often it's uh, people in the C suite, and uh, very often it's people who are CEOs of you know, major companies in North America, and I uh, act as an advisor and uh, leadership guide for them now people who've who've seen your bands play um particularly betrayed but mm-hmm. this would happen with champions sometimes too they've heard you talk to the crowd you know sometimes you'd have something to say you know you'd, you'd want to get a, a message across that wasn't just in the lyrics or in the music um am i correct in thinking that it was that that made the people that hired you into this job aware of you no, not, not at, all. at all. So they're unaware of that. They're role. totally unaware. So, okay. I was under the impression that, that, cause I mean, you know, when you would speak to the crowd, like at Gilman, when you did like, you know, at, at the, at the react festival or the react showcase, Thank you You bet. I know that <laughs> it was not a festival to showcase. <laughs> um, you know, you just, most people do not effectively speak to a crowd that way. You always had a, you always were good at having a point and making it all make, make sense. And it didn't ramble. Yeah. Um, 
So I was just kind of assumed you transitioned from that into. I was walking my dog and I ran into a couple who also had a wiener dog yeah. and our dog started playing. The guy asked me what I do. The husband of the couple asked me what I do. And I said, I'm a counselor. And he said, hey, I've got this company, blah, 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 blah. Oh, you should come work for me. And I said, no, I'm not interested in working in the corporate world. And he pursued me from there. He didn't even know I had played in a punk band. And when and when he knew and started knowing about the the tattoos and stuff, it became more of a like, well, I don't know about this guy. But then I went in and, and did what I do. And now I'm um, I'm one of the leaders of the company. So I'm a vice president in the company and I run you know a huge portion of the company. I have like two offices under me, a bunch of staff reporting up and we're just continuing to uh, make the company grow. And it's cool. It's really neat. If you'd asked me five or six years ago, if I'd wear a suit five days a week, I would have laughed my ass off. I have found uh, <laughs> it's so funny you, to see you in a suit. Well, I, I found it like looks normal now to me because you've done it for a while. But at first, oh, my, it was so strange. Well, I found like a real joy in this job in the sense of, you know, of course, when you're young coming up, you've got black and white thinking about the business world. And it's just like, you know, the business world is full of just like anything. The business world is full of really great people and then some neutral people and then some people that aren't great. And my job, the fundamental core of my job is you got to think about it this way. We've all had bosses where we're like, how can that exist? Like, how can someone treat people like that? Oh, yes. And my job is two things. One, it's to help people who are really great leaders become even better, like get even stronger. And then another part of my job is working with people who are really tough, really difficult to work for and helping them find their way out of that. And it's very cool. I get to work with all sorts of wonderful, super smart people who um, do really good things. And I get to work with some people who've got some challenges and are working to get out of that. And it's it's awesome. Uh, what I do every day, I can definitely say, it, say you know, helps people and, and changes people's worlds uh, significantly. And it's good. It's a good feeling. Um, but it's not something I even knew existed, nor something I but expected. But do you, do you feel that you draw from your experience in hardcore? Oh, 100%. In that job? 100%. What I do is 70% hardcore. And 30% like my educational background because it's like about street smarts, knowing people, understanding people, and you get that from punk. And you would be surprised how many people grew up in the punk scene that are in the corporate world. I had a guy just the other day telling me about how he is when he was a kid, he went to those um, class shows in New York. Nice. Yeah. Mm. That like, you know, that seven day stint that they did. That's fantastic yeah he was telling me about meeting joe strummer and all that kind of stuff and i was like whoa that's that's pretty cool man. But do you think that if you were 10 years older like and and this was you were trying to get into this world 10 years ago mm -hmm. do you think that you would have been able to with your tattoos no way i wouldn't have been able to with my tattoos or my attitude yeah isn't that <laughs> weird how time changes oh totally the tattoos now in the corporate world people are like oh that's cool that's so neat yeah they, they, that just it just floors me to think back you know to 10, 15, 20 years ago and what we were involved in in the lifestyle was so taboo to so many people. But now, I don't know, have we all mellowed out or has well, the world... Well, if they were all tribal tattoos, it maybe Oh, yeah, yeah that's true. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, like when I, work with, when I work with companies now, a huge part of, what, of why they come to me is because of my background. So, for example, if you could go anywhere, you could find a ton of coaches who have like an MBA and they used to run a company and any of these things. Um, you're not going to find a ton of coaches who are, 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 are executive coaches who worked in the field of psychology 
and played in a punk band <laughs> and are covered in tattoos and grew up skateboarding. You're th- these aren't like dime a dozen things. So, and do you remember that people used to say that you know because you picked up a skateboard that you were you're like, screwed. Your life was you're gonna screwed. amount to nothing. Or if you get tattoos, you're screwed. Or like you're playing. I remember like you know I left a professional career to play in a punk band, and my dad being like, "This is a terrible idea." And it's like now he'll say you <laughs> yeah. have this job because because you played. Isn't bands. it weird? The story over and over again is that people don't know what they're talking about when they tell you what your choices now are going to mean for you later. Oh, totally. Yeah. There's no no one has a crystal ball and is looking ahead. Yeah. I mean they can they can definitely tell you, hey, if you, if you continue down this road doing drugs, you're going to screw up your life. We all know see the writing on the wall with that. Right. But like, yeah, I mean. Even neck tattoos are something that I, oh, I don't yeah. think it's the best idea, <laughs> but I mean, it's not going to keep someone from giving a job if that person is effective. If that person has an interesting story and they're together and they've got some interesting tattoos, yeah. it just makes people go, oh, what's up with them? Yeah, yeah, totally. I All that stuff is all that stuff is like whatever. But you know, my job is cool. Uh, love it. It's neat. And with the level that you've risen to with that job, uh-huh. one might think that, well, that's what Aram did. He did hardcore for a while. He did, and then he did the record label, and now he's got this job, and he's wearing a suit, and that's it. That's the end of the story. But what's what's going on with you in hardcore? Uh, well, right now I'm playing True Identity. Uh, we're recording, literally recording this weekend, and uh, we're going to be putting out a demo, and um, we're playing Rainfest, and then I also, well, then we're also recording our full length for React. Um, this August, and then we'll be touring on it next year. So I'm still playing. And by the way, True Identity, straight up. Straight edge band, not embarrassed of it. It's like, we're a straight edge band. We're into youth of today. And that's our vibe. And we're also a vegetarian band. And we're super passionate about it. We sing about it. People can say that's corny. And I would say, awesome. Like, then if, if you're not into that, then you already know what the band's about because that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly it. That's what we're doing. And I've never, and I'm going again to say this. I know a ton of people and we all, the three of us know a lot of people who started in hardcore and who have progressed onto other things. And that's amazing. A lot of bands of people that we know, they started as like very simple hardcore bands and have gone on to do incredible music. And I'm super appreciative of that. And I also think it's totally fine to not progress musically and just to, to know what you like to play and what you can play and to stay in that pocket. And I never feel weird about playing essentially the same kind of music that i've always played because i love it and i'm totally psyched on it so i've got that going well, it's on like you can hear honesty yeah I, it, it it's just what i'm into and if i tried to write something else i would be aping it because it's just not what i do i play straight edge hardcore fast straight edge hardcore it's just what i'm into and then i'm also playing at keep it clear which is uh you know a band that sounds kind of like agnostic front means right brigade and I'm working on a, a project with uh, with some other dudes out east, and I, you know, another straight edge thing. So I'm playing in like three straight edge bands right now, and they're all they're you know, two ones in Vancouver, well, two are in Vancouver, and then one's out on the east coast. That's okay. I guess that's the point. Like it seemed like it almost sounded like the story was coming to an end, but oh, this no. is not coming to an end at all. Absolutely not. That's part of what true identity is about, and and I'd say this is something that I feel very is true about the North uh, Northwest and it's true about the three of us sitting here and it's true about our group of friends. The Northwest is a, an area kind of like jetted up in the, you know, the, a space where not a lot of bands go. And we're a group of people that we, to have stuff here, you got to create it yourself. 
Mm-hmm. And so like when I think of what Ron did, when you're talking about all the stuff that Ron did in that episode, it's like him and Greg created that stuff. The undertow guys created stuff. We created stuff like we've all built from these things. That doesn't end for me. And I don't think it ends for a lot of people. So true identity, the real the idea about true identity is that we would not still be doing this stuff if it wasn't who we really are. And of course, everyone kind of follows trends. It's just a normal thing. But I don't I really don't believe that anyone from our scene like really gets swayed too much from what we're about. We're really into what we're into. We create ideas and music and art based on those things and we totally stand by it. And it's not just two years later or five years later, like literally twenty years later. And the stuff doesn't suck. It's good. It's mm. interesting. So and people care about it. So for me, when I think of true identity, it's it. This, we have a song called True Identity that's very specifically about this region, these people, and what we're about. And uh, yeah, there's no reason for it to change. Well, I'm not quite going to let you go. I want to talk about a couple of controversial opinions, and I want to Uh-oh. to tell a story that I forgot. Okay. When we were talking about your youth, mm-hmm. one of the things that we have in common, like so many people our age. Is a love of Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Because it was so influential in our lives. Yes. However, you are a number of years younger than I am. You are four years younger than me. I'm 40 now. So how old are you? 44. Yeah. yeah. That's correct. Yes. yes. I yes, had to look at my plan for, 44. for yeah. I am 44. So um, I saw Star Wars in the theater when it was first out when I was six. Mm-hmm. So you were very young. You yes. came to Star Wars a little bit later. No, I saw it in the theater. I just don't remember you, it. But you you then were aware of Star Wars. You had your Star Wars yeah. toys. You knew who Han Solo was for yeah. sure. And you knew he was your favorite. Yes. Will you tell <laughs> the story of of going to see Empire Strikes Back, how old you were, and what happened? I was six years old. So just to be clear, I was three when Star Wars came out, and six when Empire Strikes, came back, uh, Empire Strikes back came out, and nine when Return of the Jedi came out. I saw Star Wars in the theater, but I don't remember it because I was three. But I grew up. I've There's never a moment in my life growing up where I did not know what Star Wars was. Right. Because, I mean, I was born in 76. And for my whole life, Star Wars was just, it was there. Yeah. It's yeah, what you I, knew about. I remember it from our early years. Yep. Han Solo, my favorite. 100%. So when I was a kid, there wasn't like multiplexes. There weren't movie theaters where there was like tons of different screens. And if you wanted to go to go see a movie and it was a popular movie you got there early and you stood in line and sometimes you'd have to stand in line for an entire movie until they let in the next movie yes because this wasn't you couldn't order tickets online or any of this stuff so (laughs) we're old (laughs) oh yeah empire strikes back comes out and my parents take us to go stand in line to go see it the first time we go the movie is sold out like we're standing in line forever and then the movie sold out and the manager comes out and says, sorry, everyone, there's no more showing. There's no, we're not going to show it any more times tonight. So we have to go home. The second time we go dead early, stand in line forever. We get tickets. I'm psyched. <laughs> we go in. Now, again, you don't know what's going to happen in this movie. It's the first time you're going to see it. Han Solo gets frozen in carbonite. Which is, you've been through most of the movie. Yeah, most of the movie. Okay. Han Solo gets frozen in carbonite. And I lose my absolute mind. <laughs> I am screaming and crying. And my parents are like, you need to calm down. And I literally can't. I can't cope. I'm losing my mind. And we had to leave. It hurt your brain to the point where, like, this is an emotional reaction. Like, this was a member of your family. The brain had nothing to do with it. It hurt my heart. It hurt my <laughs> essence of my soul. 
And people in the theater now can't hear what's happening in the movie. No. Like people around us are like, shut that kid up. Oh no, I was hysterical. That's the way to say it. I absolutely lost my mind. My poor parents, we had to leave. Oh no. This movie that they stood in line for now twice. Yeah. They take me back a third (laughs) time to see this. We stand in line again for hours. And there's something that I recall really clearly about this. There was a kid in line behind us who had a Luke Skywalker figure. And if you remember these old Star Wars toys, the heads were like pretty smooth. And he stuffed the head of Luke Skywalker up his own nose. <laughs> sure. I'll never forget seeing that. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. But, but so you kind of thought, all right, I'm ready to see some stuff now. And had your parents had a talk with you about going back? So we're in line and they're like, so, you know, you understand this is going to happen. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. We go in the whole movie. I've got super high anxiety. <laughs> the part comes. And I start freaking out again. And I'm like, <laughs> my mom's like, got to calm down. I was like, I'm trying. And they have to take me outside. My parents take me out of the theater and they have to calm me down again. so that I can go back in and watch the end of the movie. And then I watched the end of the movie. And it was third time was a charm. I didn't. I, I actually, I thought that you had, you freaked out again and had to leave the theater no. again. And it took you a long, like it wasn't until later that no, you no, saw the end of Empire. Tried to see it three times. First time we couldn't get tickets. Second time we had to leave. Third time we saw it. So here, I guess, is what I what I want to know. How did you react to the reveal and to Luke's hand? I didn't care. You didn't care. I it thought, was all about Han Solo. I thought Luke was a, was a wimp. And you didn't. And it was so while everyone else was freaking out about. I am your father, mm-hmm. which is one of the great now historical things that yes. people refer to as being that was didn't matter to you. Well, I mean, it mattered because it was part of the story, but like, but you're in your head, you're probably thinking, where's Boba Fett's ship now? He's got Han Solo. Where are they going? He's thinking, this is nothing compared to like, that time. I, I like any, listen, okay. You want to go to Did the, you, Chris, spend... you want to go to the Christian Hasoy Tony Hawk thing? <laughs> yeah. Here, this is it. When you were a kid, you were a fan of Han Solo or you were a fan of Luke Skywalker? Oh, I didn't have a problem with that. I liked them both. Yeah. Yes. You liked them both, but there was more. You had a preference. At least in my world, if you were like going to play Star Wars, it's like, mm. I'm Han Solo. And I was always but like. you're right. The Tony Hawk Christian Hasoy. It's mm-hmm. totally. It was either. It was yeah. either or. Right. So, for example. One shoots first and one can use the force. Exactly. So, I want you to think about it this way. I thought Luke was a wimp. I was like, yeah, he's the hero story, blah, 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 blah. But it's because of Han that he, he can... also whines about power converters. Right. Yeah. Who can take that dude seriously? He's like, <laughs> like Han Solo shot first, which is the stupidest thing. They changed that. He's a badass. The princess is in love with him. You know, he's got, he's got like a giant ape. It's like, you know, his sidekick. <laughs> Bigfoot. Yeah. Like, and he understands this, like, crazy language. He's the cool guy in school. He is a bad... He's wearing yeah. a... Dude is walking around in a vest. And is has got no shame about it. It's just like, I'm wearing a vest. However, when Luke loses his hand, there was a sense of, like, well, that sucks. Like, sorry, dude. But then I was like, I didn't really care. But yeah. I cared about Han Solo. And I will tell you a funny story. I had this friend named Michael Cortez when I was a kid. And after Empire Strikes Back, you know, at the end where they're like, there is another. I in my mind is like, yo, it's Han. Obviously. Like, <laughs> it's the doper older brother. That's who Han is. 
And my friend Michael Cortez, who is a lawyer now and a writer and a very smart person, even back then, was like, no, I'm pretty sure it's Princess Leia. And I was like, what? <laughs> Princess Leia? <laughs> That's crazy. There's no way it'd be Princess Leia. It's hot. It's going to be hot. And he, as a little kid, was like, it's too obvious. Yes. <laughs> but I want you to think of this. We, we were six years old. And, he, and he's saying, like, it's too obvious. Yeah. This kid is understanding the complexity of storylines at six. And I'm like, he he wears a vest. <laughs> and I'm like, he likes Shad Greedo. He's badass. He can, he, how did he navigate that asteroid field yeah. if he without the Force? Right. And Felipeo so, said what the odds were. Right. So when Return of the Jedi came out, which, by the way, I saw in a triple matinee. That's wow. when I saw Return of the Jedi. My poor father, or this was this was like when I was young. It was like one of the one of the real cherished memories of when I was a kid. Because you know I've we've talked a lot about it. it's like it was tough at home. Yeah. And so one of the few times where I can look back and be like that was a great memory. My dad, this Armenian man, <laughs> took me and my sister to see like seven hours of Star Wars. Essentially. Nice. So Star he Wars sat through it, he sat through it. Star Wars watched it, loved it. Empire Strikes Back, loved it. Return of the Jedi you're, comes in. You're nine years old. You're watching Empire in the theater again. Yeah. How'd you feel when the Han thing happened? I was fine at this point because you did. There wasn't even a little catch, like a little muscle memory. No, because okay. I knew retribution was coming oh, now, imminently. Okay. Yeah. Return of the Jedi starts. And I am losing my goddamn shit because, you know, the first thing they're going to do is take care of Han Solo yeah. coming out. They're killing Jabba the Hutt. They're throwing people <laughs> into pits. Oh, yeah. Like it was to be. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? What does the Sarlacc do? What do you mean? What does it do? Remember? Oh, it digests you digest slowly you for over a thousand, a thousand years. years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and by the way, yes, that would be terrible. But like, yo, you're not going to be alive for a thousand years. Like. Is that weird? It it doesn't extend your life. Well, no, we would have, I think it had to. That's crazy. You think that was just flowery talk? Yes, absolutely. I think there's something in the enzymes that actually extends your life so you suffer. I was like, yo, Sarlacc, get some better digestive capability. A thousand years is a long ass time to have a full meal. Does that mean the last time they fed the Sarlacc was a thousand years prior? I guess. (laughs) Let me just say this though. I started. There are people who know the answers to these questions. <laughs> I probably so started during this movie what has become now one of the most irritating habits that I have at movies, which is when I get excited about a movie, I will put my fist up in the air towards the screen <laughs> as if I'm giving like a fist bump to the people on the screen. And I will stare and nod my head a lot at the screen and lose, like, lose my mind essentially. And I will do this at. I was on a flight recently and watched um, the movie Whiplash. Haven't seen it yet. It's probably, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. The woman beside me, as I'm watching this movie, <laughs> I keep looking out of the corner of my eye and think, and like, I was getting irritated. I was like, she keeps acting weird. Like she keeps like pulling away from me and giving me the stink eye. And I was like, what's her deal? Until I realized I was staring at the screen Nodding my head like as if the screen and I were having a conversation. My <laughs> mouth was hanging open. My chin was like like down to my knees. I was like, oh, yeah. and I had my <laughs> fist in the air and was like, like kind of like shaking it at the screen along to the drum beat and wiggling in my seat like a fish that had been taken out of the water. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she was reacting to who is the absolute 
crazy person that's beside <laughs> me. And I, I think I did. Uh, it might have been at Return of the Jedi that this first started because I was losing my mind. So like, you really dug Return of the Jedi, at well, least the first third. Yes, because the Ewoks are lame. The, you know what the Ewoks and are? And at nine, you weren't cool with the no, Ewoks. You know what the Ewoks are? They're posers. And I hate posers. I hated the Ewoks. The Ewoks were trying to cook and eat the people they captured. Totally, and totally. they were talked out of it by the by golden droid and, yeah. well, and then Luke using the Force. Yeah, But they were going to kill and eat yeah. the heroes of Star Wars. Yeah. So that gets glossed over because it doesn't happen. Yeah. And at the end, they are playing instruments made of the leftovers of the Imperials that they killed and certainly devoured. Yeah. Okay, you guys need to get Bob over here and he needs to sit in this chair because <laughs> honestly... Um, yeah, are you feeling now a little left out? Honey? Yeah, I'm really not sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, like, listen, I'm just going to say that so Ewoks... I'm not, th- th- that's the thing. Ewoks suck but the idea was they were these little like raccoon bear things that would eat you and kill you yeah they're terrible terrible they're, you guys could go on like this for like but we'll, yeah, we won't because we're, we're gonna need to come to a conclusion let, let, let me just finish on yes. this point with this return of the jedi of course we all know was originally uh, named revenge yes of the jedi as we all know that movie was about revenge though like it was about owning dudes who had clowned on you and Cutting them up and throwing dudes down shafts and like just it was badass. Yeah. Now the Ewoks were unfortunate, and also you know what bothered me about it was like essentially they defeated the Imperial Army with like logs and rocks. Yeah. <laughs> like the like quite you know, ridiculous when you put it that way. It, well, that's, yeah. It's like and how did they cut all that stuff the trees down and then hang them to like crush things and like set all these traps? It's like. Yo, that takes a while. That would not now, like so a bunch of furry midgets. So you don't buy into the idea that in the face of overwhelming Imperial firepower, one must improvise in ways that the Imperials have not thought of ahead of time in order to defeat. Therefore, in Empire, taking down a walker, we can't do it with our blasters. We have insufficient power that way. However, we can use these tow cables. They haven't thought of this. The Ewoks are almost like an extension of that idea. We we can't outshoot them, but they can't handle logs. This is the thing. Okay, the one <laughs> no, the one that makes sense is when they let all the logs go and it trips up the walker. That makes sense. But the one where like the two logs come swinging in and crushes yeah. the head of the yeah yeah. Like, if you have the technology <laughs> to build this armored walker, but that armor can't handle two logs <laughs> smashing into it at the same time from de- the equal sides that that technology should not have been rolled it shouldn't have left the assembly line have they done a mythbusters listen all i have to say is, I, they should do a mythbusters on ewok attacks on on the walkers i just hate the ewoks can we <laughs> did you hate them back then though absolutely listen i have hated all I was, of my life i hate posers like i, I can't <laughs> we have, yes we have already and, established but that. i know like yes. let me just like the ewoks were like the first posers they were like <laughs> they were because it was a long time ago yeah in, in a galaxy. galaxy far far away the first <laughs> the only thing similar was posers in english can i just tell you something that that although people say that the whole Star Wars Star Wars story arc was really about Anakin Skywalker. It was actually about identifying the first posers, <laughs> which were the Ewoks. <laughs> the gal the first known posers of all time, the cannibalistic Ewoks. In the way that we saw it, but really the first poser is Jar Jar. 
actually. Because he they, comes before. You might say that they were <laughs> carrying on the tradition set by Jar Jar. Mm. <laughs> they they have carried his torch. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, so let's get so okay. I, I just I really wanted to hear your Empire story again. Okay. And I feel like we needed to know. We needed to know about the about Jedi. Yeah. Um you and I have disagreed at various times. We've had some controversial opinions yes. about straight edge. Yes. And we talked a lot about straight edge today. So I wanna know if we're almost done here, okay. but okay. I want to know if these things still hold true. Okay. I have one specific question. Okay. Can a straight edge band have a non straight edge member? Well, are they, are they a like quote unquote straight edge band and that's what they're about? Or are they a band that has mostly straight edge members and then has a song about straight edge? So let me give you an example. There are some bands that are like, uh, we are a straight edge band. And there are other bands that are like, we placed a style of music that is known as like, that's similar or that's uh, considered to be straight edge hardcore. And we have a song or two about straight edge. And but, some of our members. Yeah. But yeah. they wouldn't necessarily identify themselves as like a straight edge band. Which one, which of the two are you saying? Oh, see, I don't know that when we maybe originally had these conversations, if those were, if we had, a, if we had broken it down that far. I think if you're going to call yourself like, we are a straight edge band. Like that's that's what we are as a band. Then no, you, all your members have to be straight edge. But if you're a band that, but if you're a band that was already in that position mm-hmm. and you lost a member mm-hmm. and you could not replace that member with someone and continue doing what you're doing with someone that but that that was straight edge. However, the person who was coming in to play that person's role mm-hmm. was. Fully supportive of the band's straight edge philosophy while not being straight edge themselves. You know, I, let me just say this. Which I, sounds like a total no, philosophical thing, I actually, but that I, actually happens. I have to say this. I have to say this. It's something that I've really been thinking about. I am much less of a black and white thinker as I'm older. At the end of the day, whatever you're going to do, you just do. I mean, I wouldn't be in a straight edge band that... I wouldn't be in a band that called itself straight edge unless all the members were. And that's just me. And that... That's not a right or a wrong. Do what you're going to do. Because let me flip it. I'm going to give you something that you will inevitably try and exploit later. (laughs) (laughs) React Records. Straight Edge record label. Definitely not every band on React was straight edge. Yeah. Above the influence against the grain. React Records is a straight edge record label. That is, it is a straight edge record level label, but it put out a lot of records that aren't straight edge. Yeah, that is. A, but when a, you first became straight edge, would your answer have been the same? Or would he you hates have... posers. You know, it would have been everyone had to be everyone had to be straight edge. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I think maybe the first time you guys had this conversation, that was the answer. Like for example, progressed and for example, developed and grown. True Identity, it's a straight edge vegetarian band. In order for that to happen, everyone has to be straight edge and everyone has to be vegetarian. Mm-hmm. That's or vegan. <clears throat> That's just my approach to it. There's a lot of great bands that are been straight edge bands where not everyone was straight edge who the who the hell am i to say what's right or wrong do whatever you're going to do okay second controversial opinion then we'll be done um second round straight edge i don't care whatever whatever you want to do doesn't matter to me i mean yo now just so people understand what we're talking about someone who was straight edge and then stopped being straight edge sold out as mm -hmm, they say it mm -hmm. and then later on in their life at some point whether it was a year later or a month later or Mm -hmm. 10 years later 
claims straight edge again. I don't care. I'm going to put this out there, especially because I wanted to work his name into this somehow. Uh, if Eric Markley tomorrow was like, <laughs> yo, Ram, I'm straight edge again, I'd be like, dope, Eric, let's hang out. I'm into it. I'd hang out with him anyways because right. <laughs> I love I love Eric Markley. But like, if Eric Markley tomorrow was like, that's it, Ram, I've gotten rid of these cigars. <laughs> I'm still going to take a ton of selfies of myself, <laughs> but I'm, so, I'm straight edge now. Self like, edge. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. I would be into it. I don't care what people do. Like, I mean, if you're not straight edge, you're not, if you are, you are. I, I have a very good friend of mine, very, very good friend of mine who has raised this to me as apparently I'm the guy that you would ask this of. He was like, do you think it's okay of me to call myself straight edge now? Even though I was straight edge for many years, stopped being straight edge and had some kind of back and forth. And now I consider myself straight edge again. I was like, I don't care, man. It doesn't matter to me. It's straight edge isn't about whether or not I think it, or you think it's okay or anyone. It's like, what do you identify as? But that person wants you to say yes. Well, I said yes because it was important for them. And it doesn't matter. Like, dude, straight edge is the ultimate selfish thing. It's not about other people. It's ultimately about you. I am not straight edge. For anyone else besides me. And if I wasn't straight edge, I would be crazy and do terrible things because I would have problems with alcohol. So realistically, the right answer to that is no. But if you are that person, you should say, I'm straight edge. It's not for you to say. Yeah. I mean, dude, it doesn't like there's no like, well, I mean, according to Ron, there might be a rule book. (laughs) But like, like, I have it. Yeah. Wait, there might be a rule book. That's the rule book. Oh, there you go. Right well, there. I, let, let there oh, be seen. Yeah. Take a photo of this that I'm actually oh, well, holding the rule okay. book. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm not sure, but I think Ron might have interviewed himself in that. <laughs> hold, on. <laughs> hold on. I got to get you out of there. Nice. <laughs> like, but like, what do I care, man? What does it, what does it matter to me? Like, uh, it, it does, and you know what? For a forty-year-old man who's been like, "No, you can't be straight edge." It's like I have better things to do in my life than like try and make people feel bad whether or not they're straight edge. But do you remember it, when you first found it though? Like, did you feel that way then? Well, yeah, but I mean, I felt a lot of ways about that. You I know, know I'm like, just trying to, I'm, you know, I'm just asking the progression. Well, here. see, that's the thing. Like, yeah, uh, what what are you and I gonna do? Sit here and and maybe maybe hash out something we might have talked about fifteen years ago where we both had a slightly different opinion on it. But I guess the point is, is that hearing. Your opinion, mm-hmm. like maybe there's someone out there who isn't 40, yeah. who's maybe half our age, yeah. who might hear what you have to say and think, oh, uh, I don't have to be a stick in the mud, hard ass about every day. No, I'm going to give some people some great life advice right now. Don't be a black <laughs> and white. Don't be a black and white thinker because it's going to screw you up. Don't don't hold people to extreme um, to like don't place extreme attitudes on other people like this person's a good person and this person's a bad person and. And like really try and hold people up to these high standards. Essentially, don't act like a turd and it will all be fine. But black and white thinking will screw you up. And at the end of the day, anyone who's straight edge, that's a cool gift. Don't waste it by worrying about what other people are doing. Now, before we end, I know. I like that. That was, that was a good spot if you wanted to end it there. I thought you were going to go no posers at the end. Well, there are no posers. Um, <laughs> before we end, can we identify what are some good and bad records? I'd like to go on the record. Of saying Wait, you want to go on the record about what are good and bad records? Yes, one hundred percent. I'm Any totally genre? cool with the good records, but do we want to call out records as bad records? There are people who worked hard on those. 
I'll, I'm going to identify records that have been called bad by other people that I am going to say are good. I like that. Okay. You ready okay. for this? You got it. Verbal Assault on. Incredible Inc- record. Don't even. It's one of my favorite records of Yo, all time. Yo, people have said that's not a good record. Incredible record. Hey, Are you ready for this? Build yourself an anger battery. Are you ready for this? It's my favorite verbal assault record. Yeah. Yeah. Put that one on. Trial, man. Yeah, trial. Trial is a great record. I'm not saying- I feel like Chappelle going, thriller. No. <laughs> We're identifying <laughs> records that people have said are, are bad, but are good. Okay. And I'm also saying that- is easily my favorite. I Ooh, love it's... Trial, but goddamn, On is a great record. Yeah. Little known fact, On from Seattle took their name from that record. Is that a little known fact? Well, it's... did you know it, Michael Ann? If I did, it was only because See? one of you said that. One third, one third <laughs> of the people, one third of people in this conversation didn't know. <laughs> okay. All right. Are you ready That's, for another Yeah. Oh, you ready, oh, for, you ready for another absolutely. one? Absolutely. And this is one that I know you can get into. I don't even, I already know. New Wind and, hold on. (laughs) New Wind and everything post New Wind is awesome. If you don't like Soul Force Revolution, I'm going to say that you're missing some kind of important thing in your DNA. Are you kidding me? My problem is, is I have this weird stumble on Out the Shizzy. Out the Shizzy is not a good record, but it's, let me just. It's still awesome. Okay, you know what? It you're yes. I'm just going with what you said. And and but what you I feel like what you were trying to say is New Wind praise ourselves Soul Force Re- Revolution. Mm-hmm. Those are four of my favorite records on the face of the earth. Okay, let me just that say that I love deep in my soul that matter to me in ways that other things don't. So yeah, I can't argue. Seven seconds has way more, like infinitely more incredible records than they do records that may be considered questionable. Now, let me just say this. I'm going to say specifically what one record I'm referring to here. A lot of people say they don't like New Wind. New Wind is an amazing record. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So can we continue this? Oh, yeah. All right. You can't. Did you think I was going to disagree with that? It's my favorite record of all time. No. Can we continue this conversation? Yeah. Okay. And now I'm going to get really controversial here. Oh, you set me up. And now I'm not saying this to be that guy. Now okay. people are going to, there's almost no way to not be that guy when you say this. Okay. Warzone self-titled record. Awesome. <laughs> okay. What am I, what are you, what am I going to say? Warzone's not good. Come on. Yeah. But the Warzone self-titled record, that's. Did people join the Warzone Frontier family? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're still out there. <laughs> In the frontier, the frontier. That was like Warzone Boy Scouts. Yo, but right? I'm telling you, the Warzone, the Warzone self-titled LP. You're it, talking about the one with the sort of graffiti letters with the bullet holes in them. Absolutely. Okay. That's a good record, man. All right. Now people say, understandably, I like when I keep saying people say. Like there's this like voice of the street. Like I'm walking down the street. Like, <laughs> yo, Ram. Just so you know, I don't like the Warzone self-titled LP. <laughs> But I'm just going to say that I get involved in a lot of these conversations. That's a great record. Okay. And it, it's great for a lot of reasons. Some of them just with the how what extreme measures some of those songs go to, but it's pretty dope. I'm into it. <laughs> uh, what else? I got a real axe to grind about some records that people don't like. But there's some great ones out there. So you saw you, but you understood oh. what I was saying. I want to talk about records that people don't like that you do like. I don't want to go the other way. Yeah, yeah. 
You ready for this? Oh, yeah. Hold on. Set it up. Dag Nasty Field Day. Great record. Do you know that one? Yeah. Okay. No, I don't like it. Sorry. This, yeah, man. I, 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 I have, and I have periodically over the years gone back to revisit it. And I'm not going to say it's a bad record. Mm-hmm. It's just not for me. And this is from the guy who likes New Wind. I don't see the I don't see the comparison. Well, there's not a comparison. It's two totally like two totally different records. However, actually, New Wind I feel has some new romantics influence in it. Oh, that's probably why I love it so Where much. Where Field Day has some more like kind of like butt rock influences in it. That's the problem. But yo, that song Trouble is. You would think I would love it though. Yeah. As a you know, but there are girl songs of the late on 80s. that though. That... that song Trouble is. is yeah, like, but it's just not that good. Yeah. It's so good. But man, like that song about like. Here on the beach, do, 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 do. like if you're in the right mood, if you're like if you're driving your car and you happen to have Dag Nasty Field Day, I don't though. No, but I'm okay. just saying if you did, you're driving your car. It's a sunny day. You don't have to work. Things are going good. You throw that song on and you are with Brian Baker on the beach. <laughs> you know what? Those guys worked hard on that record, and there's a lot of people to love it. I, me being one of them, and you being one of them. Okay. Do you have others, dude? I could go on and on. Do you have any? Do you have any where like people are like that record sucks and you're like no that record's actually I dope. have spent most of my life talking about New Wind. Well, okay, but I just said <laughs> we New don't Wind. even get to ourselves. Like I never even get further down the. Or we don't get to praise and praise is just unreal. It's so good. Let's let's take it into the local. Let's take it into oh. the local. Oh, okay. Resolution ten inches dope. Resolution. <laughs> Who says it's not? I, those people may exist. Resolution ten inches dope. It's awesome. Yep, Galleon's lap record is. Yeah, but that's different. The Galleon's lap record is like you listen to that record and you're like, oh, this is clearly like an people, unbelievable record. But the thing about it is that people don't know about it. Like, I'll tell you why. You can still periodically find that record in like a dollar bin, which I'll, makes no sense. I'll tell you why the resolution uh, ten inch. Actually, people do not trash that ten inch, but like of of the works of. Of our Gardaby, <laughs> that is not one that's like as high as like people wouldn't put that on the same level as Brotherhood. Yeah, that record, super creative, interesting, like just a neat record with a strange ensemble of people playing it, and really cool, like really heartfelt lyrics. I like that record a lot. I think it's cool. Um, Galleon's Laugh is on a whole other level, though, man. That record is crazy. It's so good, and people don't know about it. No, people don't know about it, but I kind of dig that people That's, don't know about it's it. It's one of the last, like, real great mysteries. Yeah, yeah. That is that is it. That is a real, real cool record. Let me end with a Ron story, though. <clears throat> oh, wait. Okay. So we're going to go We're gonna go from records to a Ron story. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So the day you did your interview with Ron, there was the Chromag show that night. Oh, yeah. So Keep It Clear played, and I wore a Bootleg Brotherhood t-shirt, and I wore it knowing Ron was going to be there. And I also wore it knowing Ron was going to have an issue with me wearing a bootleg brotherhood t-shirt. <laughs> Cause you, you like to do that sort of thing. I like to do that kind of thing yeah. for sure. And I like Ron a lot. I think he's, uh, Ron's just a great guy. Like, so he's done so much for, for all, of, like all of the scenes. So, but I do like to, to fuck with him for sure around this. So I'm wearing this brotherhood t-shirt and I'm psyched that I'm wearing it. And it's a cool shirt. And we finish playing and I'm hanging out and Ron, Ron walks by and he goes, hey, man, how many bootleg brotherhood shirts do you have? And I just said, so many, <laughs> so, so many, as many as I can get. And he was like, why don't you have like the shirts 
that we actually have made. And I was like, oh, I, I have those as well. And he kind of had this flummoxed look on his face. Like, I don't know. What, I don't know where to go next. And I was like, Ron, as long as there's Brotherhood bootleg shirts, they will have a buyer in me, just so you know. And he was like, that's cool, man. That's cool. <laughs> I loved your I love your band so much that I'll buy everything legitimate. Yeah. If you're from and the, everything illegitimate, uh, give me more illegitimate. Yo, nobody, if you do not, if you're from the Northwest or you're part of the scene and you spend time here and you don't love brotherhood, then it's a, it, it's shocking. It's like, it's like being from earth and saying that you don't like water. Like it's part mm. of why, what we do exists. Yeah. I mean, brotherhood. even for me, who's I'm like, I've said not a hardcore girl, but yeah. being even just on the East side and in the Seattle scene, and young like brotherhood was a huge thing like huge. everybody knew who huge. brotherhood was yeah and you keep saying that not a hardcore girl but, but i'm not can... a hardcore girl yeah, no just like i'm not so but brotherhood you like old dc hardcore well yeah i mean oh. of course all right give me a little ignition whatever uh, like ignition yeah who loves ignition as much as oh, you? i fucking love I, ignition okay so i have the best so anyway question. everyone listening thinks but, that, that, but i'm not a hardcore girl they're trying to figure out why you're posing saying you're not a hardcore girl yeah, but I'm I'm just I'm not I don't know. No, I'm, just so you all know. Do you know, think I'm a hardcore girl? Michael Ann was one of the the original Warzone women. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I've got a question that we can end on. I all right, a question. good because we, we gotta we find something. On. Yeah, yo and Ron, don't let all that nice stuff we say go to your head. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is what we're gonna end on though. Best Discord release. Oh, that's what? So tough. What is the best release? that you think ever came out on Discord will each answer. What are you doing? How, how, how can you add? We can't Because have... you know what's good about this, though? When it ends, this is the thing that keeps the conversation going afterwards because people will be like, well, that question. It's also the one. It'll keep going out in the living room, too. <clears throat> we'll, we'll continue it out there. Yeah. That's this is... hard. I don't, I'm not as good at this you stuff know, as you guys are. Isn't yeah. there only one answer? No, there's so no, many there's answers. No, there's not. Really? It's not Minor Threat Complete Discography? Nope. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah, I've got what I think it is. Because I'm, I'd have to pull up because an entire like discography you, to, to you know. can't you can't confuse like you got to be thinking. So first of all, I I don't think that's a wrong answer, but we're asking what does each person personally feel, and you got to think: Are you going to judge it based on the history of the release <sighs> or and how its much impact? you listen to that, or how much do you listen to it? Fuck. So. <laughs> Fuck. So this is one where people... Uh, I'd like to point out that non-hardcore girl Michael Ann is completely engaged in this question. Yeah. And it probably means as much to her as us. So. Yeah. But I really am serious. I would need to have a list to be able to narrow it down. And there's going to be something I'm not even going to remember. I'm going to compare... I already know. The right I know to my Spring answer. LP and embrace and 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 Dagnasty. Oh, can I say? Actually, there's three. There's three factors. We could actually have like an equation based on this. Are you going to judge it based on its impact as a record, mm-hmm. or which you li- what you listen to the most, or its personal impact on you? This includes all Fugazi stuff. No yeah. kidding. That's what I'm. That's the, <sighs> that's what I'm saying. How do you how do you do this? To me, that's why I just went to Minor Threat. I just think that well, for me, as amazing as everything is, Minor Threat is just this. It, it has no, it is peerless. Okay. So Minor Threat for you, for Dave Larson. God damn it. It is the Minor Threat 
discography CD? Is that what you're saying? Wow. You're picking because a CD? CD because, no because, because they released something on Discord that had all of Minor Threat on it. Right. But come on, yeah, dude. Are you going to pick cheating. a CD? Is that cheating? It's kind of cheating. So collections don't count? Well, all right. Well, hold on. Let's just say then, then you would have to choose between the Fugazi 12-inch and Margin Walker. You can't say 10 songs. All right, fine. Yo. Wait, oh, that's yeah, a that's, good point. No, you're, yeah, you're right. You just made a wicked qu- cookie monster <laughs> sound, and the sweater you're wearing kind of looked it like it was a cookie blue. monster it's sweater. It's true. No, but see, that's my part. Okay, well, then <laughs> I have gonna... mine, then. If that, that's, a, that's fair. That's, that's fair? Okay. Okay, so let's go first. Dave, go first. <laughs> I, I want. I can't. You have to. Wait. I have to. This is how we're ending the interview. I think I could probably think about this question for two or three weeks. Well, yeah, but you don't have that option. So repeater. There, I'll go. Okay. Michael Ann says yeah. repeater. Well, that's a good. Uh huh. Okay. I am going to do what I do with movies. I can't ever say what I think my favorite movie is and include Star Wars in that list. Okay, so as far as I'm concerned, minor threat is Star Wars. Okay, we're not going to have this conversation. Okay, if we're going to do that, I'm going to say Dag Nasty. Can I say? Hmm, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. All right, you guys ready yeah. for mine? What is yours? I'm I'm very curious. Embrace. That's really that's like my second choice. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that. Yo, <sighs> think of that record, man. Think of the lyrics on that record and the songwriting. Yeah. So you went with Repeater. Absolutely. Which is a totally solid because, choice. Because for me, that's when music changes. That's when I that's when I don't just listen to like this. Repeater is mean, like your your seven yeah. seconds for me. Yeah. But yo, think about this. Repeater. Think of how many copies that record sold. No. Like it was a huge amount. It was amount. huge. Yeah. They were they were talking about the pre-sales when that thing first came out. It was one of the first times I ever heard the terminology. But even then, that's it's it was it's nothing. I mean, at the time, I mean, it was I mean, it was huge, but it's nothing Tens compared of to thousands of copies. But it's nothing compared to what the major artists were still doing oh, yeah, at but, the time, but think right? Of this like Fugazi, especially that time, redefined what success oh, could be absolutely because they were a huge, huge band that didn't sell merch, still played mm-hmm. five dollar shows, yep. and would play in front of massive, massive crowds all yeah, the time, all the time. So it's like when you think of Repeater, it's like then if you're thinking what the impact of that record was it's crazy it's huge yeah. it's huge i mean it literally changed my life for music yeah. like it got me out of this weird genre of not really knowing what i liked and liking a bunch of like you know i mean metallica i mean everything you know butt rock to hardcore to any of that but i couldn't figure out what it was that i liked and it was it was fugazi that set me on that path and even more than i mean i already knew who minor threat was all that and it it, it was it was good i liked it i understood it but it was fugazi when i was like it's just spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's how Embrace was to you. Yeah. Um, you felt that way the first time you heard it? No, not the first time I heard it. Uh, you grew but, into it. Yeah, I grew into it. The first time I heard it, I was like any kid who grew up listening to punk. You're like, oh, this is, it's it's cool. It's the guy from Minor Threat, but it's not fast. Um, but when I got older, dude, think about this lyric. You can stay cool behind your window and pick the view you want to see. But as long as others are held captive... Do not consider consider yourself yourself free. free. Think of the thought that it takes to write something like that and the intensity and the truth. Like, it's just the truth behind that statement. Uh, Best, I think the best lyrics that have ever appeared on any kind of hard, like something in the hardcore related world are on that record. Certainly transformative for me about the way that I thought about my place in the world was that record for sure. Unbelievable. 
and uh, just everything about it is just so powerful. Um, yeah, super I cool. I can't disagree with the word you said. All right, so let me end. We'll end on this. I'm about to tell you but a story. But the imagery combined with the music mm-hmm. of Dag Nasty Can I Say is almost untouchable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what's cool about Ian, Ian McKay now, though? He's done so much cool shit and done so much stuff that he literally could just do, like, there's a photo of him from Coachella, and he's wearing, like, a maroon bucket hat. <laughs> like you know he's the only he's the only person that i have ever met and i've met him a couple of <clears throat> times that i've ever met and been starstruck by yeah i was absolutely awestruck when but, i met him but yo like if he was wearing a maroon bucket hat you would be like i would be just yeah. as starstruck he could be wearing his pants as a hat and his hat as pants and i would be like cool yeah. like you are that's awesome yeah. You've done some shit. Yeah. All right. Twenty let me... years from now, all the kids will be doing this. Absolutely. And he'll say, "I didn't mean to start a movement." And yeah, and 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 people will be saying, <laughs> "Which are more important to you, the pants <laughs> or the hat? <laughs> the hat that now covers the bottom part of your body? We'll have to create different kinds of hats that are keep us from revealing things." All right. I w- okay, that is this. So just before that is the ram that is the comfortable ram that I know so well throughout the years. I love it. I love All it right. when you go off of those tangents. Now let me finish with a story <laughs> that okay. I will never forget. Wait, this is the finish. This is the finish. It okay. has to do with Ian McKay. First we're, time we're for, not. We're cutting, never really going to finish. We're not cutting this into two episodes. This yeah. is just a a long. How long, long is it? Well, when I cut stuff out, it's still going to be two hours and 40 minutes probably. Oh my god, oh. I have got to go to bed okay. soon. <laughs> let, me, let me finish with this story. The first time I ever saw Fugazi, I watched um, I watched him in a place called McEwen Hall Ballroom in Calgary. And they were touring on, it might have been in on the Kill Taker, or it might have been a record before that, I just can't remember. However, my friend Rob Dunlop, who was responsible for a lot of young like really like a, a whole generation essentially of really getting tor- turned onto a lot of different kinds of punk because he was the first person i ever knew at a great record collection he had a minor threat t-shirt and he was a huge minor threat fan and he went to the fugazi show wearing a minor threat t-shirt and sat on the stage right at ian mckay's feet and as they were playing he kept yelling minor threat play minor ah, threat that's awful well we're very young yeah, right i know and Ian McKay stops playing, looks him in the eye and goes, hey, man, it's not 1980 anymore. Get with the times. Awesome. And then just holds his eyes, like just hold, like stares at him, look, looks him right in the eye. And I remember Rob wilting like a flower that had not had water in 200 years. I was like, <laughs> And I was looking at that and I was like, so badass, man. <laughs> And then they just launched into another song, and I was like, Ian McKay just dadded a dude right in front of me. Don't get better than that. He dadded him? <laughs> he dadded him. He dadded him hard. Yeah, but you would have remembered that show even if that hadn't happened. Oh, yeah, but yeah. what the standout feature of the yeah. show was the dadding that Rob Dunlop got at the hands of Ian McKay. Hey, I heard your buddy um, smoked weed with Ian McKay at that show. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, everybody's buddy smoke smoke weed with Ian McKay. I wonder, at, like, what point those kinds of rumors will start about like people we know. You know, it's like, oh yeah, dude. The thing about Jim Hesketh is like he literally has a keg of whiskey in the trunk of his car. A keg of whiskey. And he just 
He just drinks it. Not a barrel, but and, a keg. And actually, I drank whiskey with Jim Hesketh out of the out of this whiskey keg in his thing. Well, you know, it's not quite as it's well. Yeah, that's the thing. Is it? It's a difference when there's a story about a person who says they're straight edge, and then the story contradicts that. But like the story about Ron smashing the sign. Oh, that's great, Stampy. But he. <laughs> I don't know what we if that story has a name. Oh, but <laughs> cut it out. But he definitely verified the story yeah. on his episode. No. Like, okay, dude, this is something I was just talking about the other day. So we're gonna do more. Yeah, like the oral. <laughs> so it goes every fucking time. Well, the oral history of hardcore. We're losing the oral history of hardcore, including all these crazy stories. Like, I remember someone. I think Sean O'Leary, who's like, Siv's not straight edge anymore. He sell- he got caught by the police selling acid at a show. Oh, I remember hearing that. Right. <laughs> and, of course, we know that Siv has been straight edge this entire time, is a dedicated vegan, you know, has never gone to jail for selling acid. <laughs> but it's this oral history of hardcore that, like, is getting lost from all this over-documentation. Like, you know, again, there's not a right or wrong. Whatever. People are going to like write books, do documentaries, do this or that. There's there's nothing wrong with it because people are interested in it. Are you saying the history is being lost by it being put down into a form? That yeah, but be... but the form that it's being captured in, who's to say that's actually the, what the true story is, right? And oh, who, can, yeah. who can say someone who's like 45, even them, like say you're 45, can you actually truly accurately tell the story of you when you were 20? But can, yeah, can you, I mean, is what we've done I here have tonight this up even more, any of it true? I have brought this up more than once now, so even though it was only episode seven, Jake Snyder says, when you tell us, when you remember something, you're remembering your memory yeah. like of, of yeah. the event. You don't, there comes a point where you stop remembering the actual event and you remember your story of it. Totally. Totally. So like, I, I will say hardcore now is becoming totally over-documented like and there's not a right or wrong i mean so i'm just speaking from a preference point of view there was something very special about growing up mm-hmm. and hearing all these stories and you don't know if it's true it's impossible to know if it's true because when i was young i couldn't just call up like roger murray and be like hey roger i want to fact check this story i heard about you <laughs> you know like so it's like we didn't have the internet we couldn't go on there and find out totally yeah. there's something very special about like just hearing all these crazy stories from people like, yo, I heard this or I heard that. And it's, and it's like, no, that's not how it went down. Cause I was actually there. Totally. Yeah. I, I can tell you right now for sure. I cannot totally, if someone was to set down the history of Northwest hardcore in a documentary, I could only tell the story of the times that I have witnessed through the scope of a 40 year old man mm-hmm. and, and the thing and the way that I would look at things now versus what it is and well it's his story right right totally so even when you're talking about like the um uh, the stay gold champion rivalry did i really just tell you the the proper thing or is it just the 40 year old version of it you told me the 40 year old version. yeah you totally told the 40 year old version (laughs) we hated each other (laughs) (laughs) no it's just that you see it through more experienced eyes and so you can interpret gold more like stay cold Oh, it was never like that. <laughs> we were called champion for a reason. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> this all gets cut out. No, no. no. It does not. <laughs> if you've come along the ride this far, um, you know, Bless I, hope, your soul. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we are definitely going to shut her down at this point. 
And around. You're, gonna, you're gonna have to do this again at some point without me in here. Oh, there'll be yeah. There's gonna be some repeat customers here, and uh, yeah. So, Michael, and thank you for staying along with us. Yeah. I think it added a lot to the proceedings. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. Oh yeah. I didn't add a whole lot. I haven't sat this close to you for this long in a long time. I know it was nice to it's touch shoulders for what two and a half hours, yeah. three hours. Ram, seen that long. Yeah. What do you want people to know in parting? Um. I'm never going to start a record label again. <laughs> right. I totally don't believe you. <laughs> I um, so don't believe you. Wow. You, that's a whole can of worms. Because how many times have you asked me to not let you start a record label in the yeah. last couple of years? All right. All right. What do I really want people to know? Um, Straight Edge is that you're awesome. and handsome. Well, they know that just by being around me. <laughs> no. Straight Edge is awesome. Do what you got to do. Be who you're going to be. It's all fine. Just live like an authentic person. Don't be a prick. Don't, Don't try. Be a poser. Well, I was going to end on oh, it. You just blew shit. it. Straight Edge is awesome. That's called blowing up his spot. Yeah, you did. Do they yeah. still say that? Is that? I'm a little. I'm not sure what the kids talk about these days. Well, you, but you can still end it with a bang. I, I'm just going to say this. Straight Edge is awesome. Whatever you do, just do it authentically. Don't be a prick. Don't be an ass kisser. Don't try and like fit in with the tastemakers because you think it's going to give you some kind of safety, but it doesn't. Don't worry about the kingmakers. Don't let them try and don't make, don't chase their bullshit just so you can be someone in some perceived scene. Just be authentic. Be cool. Don't be a prick. And most of all, don't be a fucking poser. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, brother. was a long one thanks for staying through all the way to the end people uh i think you can tell aram has been a uh, big part of our lives here for for quite a while now and uh he's a good friend and i i think that came through i had a lot of fun with that one um you know i think probably deep into hour two we probably thought hey this is going too long who would actually care about all this stuff but you know what if you're listening to a long podcast why not why not go through it so uh, i do however have kind of a laundry list of corrections on this episode so let's get into it uter from the simpsons is actually german not dutch uh we called him the dutch kid from the simpsons but whatever honestly it's a cartoon it's not even real so he's not really anything he's just uh drawings on paper nowadays in a computer with just a voice actor reading off the script but you know technically german um we talk about chain of strength and me giving him a hard time about them not being straight edge or whatever it was. And honestly, okay, one, I said this in the episode, I'm going to say it again. I love Chain of Strength. Those two Chain of Strength 7-inch records are two of the greatest records I've ever heard. Um, they mean a lot to me. They meant a lot to me at the time that they came out. Uh, I remember hearing a lot of trash talking on Chain of Strength, and I don't know what's true and what's not. I didn't know them personally. It's not my place to say. I'm fairly certain I did give a ram the hard time that he describes. Um, so it's not really a correction. It's just more of an explanation because it's probably more that I just wanted to give a ram a hard time because that's kind of how we handled that whole weekend. It was good. So, Chain of Strength, awesome. I'm excited to see him at Rainfest this year. Um, yeah. Talking about when Jimmy Eat World's Clarity was released, 
Uh, we didn't know when we were recording. I looked it up. It was released in early 1999. So it's basically about right in the middle of when we're talking about. I thought it came out later. They thought it came out earlier. We listened to Jimmy Eat World's Static Prevails, fairly heavy rotation uh, around the time Aram was showing up. And then we listened to Clarity in pretty heavy rotation after it came out. So I know there were conversations about the band, about both records. Um, okay, uh, n- not a correction because I didn't know the name, but I really should have been able to say that Brian Kraft from Resolution was later in Engine Kid because that's true. And I knew that at some point in my life before I started getting old and things started seeping out of my head. So there is that. Um, okay, so that's pretty much the end of uh, corrections that I could come up with. There's probably more. Definitely, um, if you're listening to this just on iTunes or you've just downloaded it, go to the website. Go to nobodiesknows.com. Take a look at the, the blog page for this episode on there. There's so much information that I've linked, and there's pictures that you got to see. I'm still going to try to track down. As soon as I get done recording this, I'm going under the house. I'm going to try to track down that creepy clown doll, see if it's packed away in a box, um, because that's something that you just, you know, I want that to I want that to haunt a Ram's dreams again. Um Other than that, please do rate and review us on iTunes. Give us those five stars if you would, you know, because that really helps spread the word. Actually, that just gets it out probably to people who wouldn't otherwise know to find it. And I have to assume that a couple of those people will enjoy hearing old hardcore and punk rock stories from people they don't know. But anything can happen. Who knows? And tell, you know, if you've enjoyed this, tell people about it, you know. I would love it if you were to put a link up on social media or tweet about it or just let, you know, tell people you had a good time listening to it. Because I think there's a lot of people that out there still that don't listen to podcasts or don't know how a podcast would fit in to their time frame and don't realize that there's really a lot of ways that they could do it, you know. Um, some people download and they listen to them when they're driving. Some people can listen to them at work because they have the, they have the kind of job that allows them to kind of disconnect part of their brain while they're doing it. That's how I listen to all the podcasts I listen to. All right. So, 10 episodes in. That's a pretty good milestone. I'm not going to stop. It might not come out every week, but I'm not going to stop. And I've got my eyes on a second podcast that may be coming out through Nobody's Nose to try to make us a true podcast network instead of a fake podcast network with one show. All right. Thank you all. See you next time. This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive Producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris. This girl looks like a Thundercat.